Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Utah Jazz do it again. They win again. They beat the shorthanded Los Angeles Clippers. Beat them handily. Blow them out in the fourth quarter. Uh, the key to the game, though, really came early when the Jazz found out, well, not only is Kawhi Leonard not playing because he's out long-term rehabbing that ACL that he tore in the playoffs last year, but the two guys who we told you were questionable yesterday morning didn't play. No Paul George. No Nick Batum. That's a lot of talent on the sideline. So the Jazz had a six-point lead at halftime, pushed it to double digits in the third quarter. Clippers made a little rally, got it down to single digits, and got it to seven, and Donovan hit a three to put the Jazz up ten. And they ended up pulling away and winning big. We will get to the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up later in this hour. But first, college football signing day. Kalani Sitaki and his coordinators doing a Zoom press conference from Shreveport, Louisiana, where they're getting ready to play the Independence Bowl Saturday afternoon. Here are the Cougars on signing day. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, we're excited to announce our signing class of the 2022, um, 2022 early signing period. Um, we've signed 19 players. We're really excited about the the, uh, the the various groups and talent that we see in this group in, in this signing class, and really excited about the speed as well. So uh, there's there's a number of players that are um, going to be contributors and can compete for starting spots right away. And there's others that are uh, you know we're going to see in the future after missions, which is not uh, it's not too. Uh, it's not too. It's not new to what we do here with our program. So, um, also want to. I have. I have. Uh, a Rod, Ed Lamb, and and uh, E are here with me to answer any questions you guys may have. But want to. Before we do that, just want to express our our gratitude and appreciation to everyone that allowed this to happen with the signing class, the families of the of the recruits for trusting us with with their with their uh, sons, and uh, we're looking forward to to our, that relationship with them. Also, want to thank everybody that was involved in, in the recruiting process, um, their coaches and and uh, their administrators at administrators at their school. Also, want to thank uh, our, our university, our, our administration. I, I know that our uh, uh, the leaders in our administration, upper campus, with Kevin Worthen and, and uh, Keith Working being available for our, for our recruits on the, on their trips. Also, uh, a number of staff and faculty. Um, professors at the school being able to be there for our, for our recruits and answer any questions they may have. And so um, and finally, I want to thank our players for uh, being great ambassadors for our program and, and uh, connecting with these young men and, and, and making sure that they're a great fit for us and uh, kind of being, being a good uh, sounding board to any of the questions that our, our uh, recruits may have within the culture of the team and, and how we do things. And so uh, looking forward to to seeing these guys. I mean, that's the, the game is that uh, you know we, we feel like we can add add depth and provide talent and, and and add on the talent part of it. And there's tons of guys here that that are physical and have have a lot of skill. Um, and so we're looking forward to to, to getting in them in, into our our campus and working with our uh, with our strength conditioning group and everybody that we have uh, available to, to make sure that they're the best uh, student athlete we can get. Um, well, finally, well, I also want to thank our, our support staff and their hard work, uh, John Swift, our DFO, and Jack DeMooney that, that works with all our, our relations. And um, finally, Jason Ayu does a great job uh, with our recruiting and, and handles a lot of, I mean, he does a lot of things for our for our recruits and, and for our student athletes. So thankful for them, too. So any questions you guys may have, you just ask uh, specifically, and I'll hand the mic over. 
Hey, Coach, thanks. If you're joining us late, we'll take um, one question at a time per person, and then if you direct it specifically to an individual coach. And then if we have additional time, we need to try to wrap up at about five minutes, too. So if we have additional time, we'll um, go around a second time. We'll start with Jared Lloyd and then Alex. Lonnie, this recruiting class is almost exclusively from Utah, a couple of guys from outside, but but very Utah heavy. Is is the 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 talent in Utah just increasing where that fills the needs that you guys are looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we're going to do is look close to home. And, and um, uh, you know, a big part of that is us being able to run camps this summer and, and see the guys, uh, you know, before the second class before was just more of evaluation. That was all done without um, during the pandemic without really doing the official visits. So uh, we got on it early with these guys. I mean, I, I have to thank our staff and our, our coaches for, 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 you know, recruiting and evaluating our players and then being able to just make that connection with them and their families. A, a good number of this of this uh, class uh, committed early. So um, this happens that they, a good number of them came from the state of Utah. And I think we're always going to look close to home first and then branch out from there. And we're still looking to sign, um, you know, uh, still a number of players that are out there specifically in the defensive backfield we're looking to sign as well. So we have another signing day, but I think at BYU, our, our bigger signing period is going to be the early signing one in December. Then we'll, uh, we'll still work throughout the year. You saw what happened last year. We still work throughout the year recruiting and trying to get uh, the right individuals here that can fit and then fill our needs, but also fit our program and, and give us the, the depth that we need. So, by the way, we're looking all a little bit rough. We just got done with practice, so... Uh, I'm speaking for myself. These guys look great all the time, especially Iran. <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Coach, you had a few players um, signed with BYU today that had previously been committed elsewhere um, throughout, you know, the recruitment for for whatever reason. When when there's a player that you guys are recruiting that has already verbally committed somewhere else, and then they reopen their recruitment, what is the process like of trying to get that recruit actually to come to BYU and sign with you guys? I think the the main thing is that we we keep. Uh, you know, a great relationship with them and their family. And so uh, when this all, when it all comes down to it, the, the decision is going to be made for them to go where they feel like there's the best place for them. And we have a number of guys on our team that, that chose to go other places and came back here. You know, so I give credit to our coaches for having that great relationship with them. And then also being open to, to hearing what, you know, when someone wants to change and make a move to come here, uh, being open to, to make it work. And so, um, I think the connection we have with, with the families makes it a lot easier to make that adjustment. Next, we'll take questions from Sean and then Jake. Kalani, you touched on, on speed a little bit. And actually, maybe I'll direct this one at A-Rod because you, Kalani touched on speed a little bit um, and how much faster you guys got. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking in particular, you brought in guys like Cody and Dom to really bolster kind of the the perimeter it sounds like to get a lot faster was was that just a, a big focus of this class was trying to get those quick agile guys to kind of liven up the attack i guess i wouldn't say it was more of a focus than it is in the past but um it just so happened that this year there were some really fast in-state guys in track you know there, there were some great track times last spring and um, we were able to add several of those guys to our team and so um yeah, I, I can't remember a time in my coaching career where there were better track times uh, than last spring. 
maybe, maybe there was, but I don't remember that. I don't remember a year that was better than that. And, you know, we were fortunate to add several of those guys that were running really good times to play receiver for us or, or you know, we'll see, we'll see where everybody ends up, what positions they're going to play, but really, really excited about it. My question is also for A-Rod. Aaron, there's no quarterback in this class, but I do know you guys added a quarterback in the transfer portal last summer. Is that kind of the trade-off as you did not take a quarterback so far in this class? Exactly. That was, uh, that was the idea. That, um, so we, we were able to uh, get a quarterback in the portal, and so now we feel like we're full there unless, unless somebody chooses to go elsewhere, then we'll – you know, we'll always try to keep it full, but we're always looking for the best QBs we can get. And we're, that's, uh, that was one of the things that Kalani and I agreed on when he hired me was we're going to keep that room as full as we can with the best quarterbacks we can find. And then the competition just brings the best out of it. Let's take questions now from Mitch and then um, Jay. This question's for Kalani. Uh, Kalani, we're seeing a lot in college football, a lot of programs – holding off on signing uh, high school players to land transfer portal prospects. How many spots maybe in the February period or, or spring uh, do you plan on leaving open for potential transfer portal additions? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not tied down to a number, so I know there's a limit, but we're going to try to get the, uh, the team to be as, as uh, developed as possible. And so if that means adding certain players, I don't know if we'll make a great living off of the portal, but we, we know that if they're going to come here, they're probably going to contribute right away. And if you look at the the players that have uh, gone to the portal and transferred here, it's a good, uh, I mean, as far as the percentage of those guys contributing and playing, we have a good track record right now. So that's what it comes down to. But I don't think we're going to make a statement on how many we're looking to keep open for transfer portal with us, but I, I, I know one thing in the recruiting process, we want to get it right the first time. So we want to, don't want someone to think that they can just go somewhere and then just turn around and make BYU as the, the, the destination if it doesn't work out. So uh, I think we do our, our job as recruiters and as a coaching staff and make sure that we get the right, right young men here the first time. And that's, that's, that's the goal. All right, there's Kalani Sataki. Some of his comments, if you want to hear them all, go wherever you get podcasts. Uh, I think that's about half of what he had to say. That was a pretty long, uh, pretty long chat they had with the media there. And we'll hear from Kyle Winningham coming up next. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Signing day in the books. The youth sign 20 players and also hold some scholarships back so they can bring in some uh, guys from the transfer portal. Here's Kyle Whittingham with the media. Okay. Uh, like every team in the country, we feel really good about our class. Um, I think that's uh, a theme throughout the whole nation. But, but uh, we really feel that uh, we... Got some real good players uh, that were on the fence, uh, uh, you know, to sign today. And, and uh, I think obviously a great deal of that has to do with the success we had late in the season, uh, winning the Pac-12 championship. Uh, first and foremost was probably the biggest factor in uh, getting these guys that were on the fence to, to come our way. So we feel like uh, we took care of most all our needs. We held back uh 
you know, uh, several scholarships for portal uh, slash late qualifiers, whatever uh, comes about in the uh, next, uh, what, nine, ten months, because recruiting is never over anymore with the portal in place. You can take <clears throat> players all the way up uh, through fall camp. And so uh, I think we struck the right balance with getting the guy signed now, yet having X amount of scholarships left over for, for needs that arise that are unforeseen. Uh, when you break it down, uh, 10 offensive players were signed, 10 defensive players. Uh, 18 of those 20 total players were high school kids, uh, a couple transfers, uh, four-year transfers. Um, no junior college players, at least not as of yet. Possibility that, uh, you know, that we may go that route uh, for, you know, with the scholarships we have left. Um, you know, helped ourselves at, at a lot of spots. Quarterback, you know, we're thin at quarterback, uh, losing, <coughs> having a, a quarterback transfer out. And so we had uh, two quarterbacks that we targeted and, and had commitments commitments from early, Nate Johnson and Brandon Rose. Excited about those guys. I uh, feel like we have two of the best linebackers in the West, maybe in the country, in Justin Medlock and Lander, Lander Barton. Those guys are, are really good. And so we're really excited about, about getting those guys in the fold. Uh, some big offensive linemen, uh, Tyler Canock, Keith Olson, big six foot six plus, uh, three hundred pound plus guys that uh, are you know what you look for lengthwise in the offensive line. Uh, terrific running back in Jalen Glover uh, from Florida, six thousand over six thousand yards rushing in his career, over two thousand yards this year. Uh, I think those stats are correct. Is that right, Bobby? So so just a tremendous player. Reminds me a lot of Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, same same dimensions. You know, five seven, about two. 10 um, by no means is he you know where Maurice was in you know by uh, his career in college but he's got a chance to be very good and, and the same style of play as Maurice uh, added a couple tight ends both of them four-year transfers uh, with departure of uh, you know some of our tight ends that'll that'll help us there continue to uh, to uh, be very strong at that position wideouts really helped ourselves Teo Johnson Ryan Peppins Chris Reed with another one or two that will be named uh, in the ensuing, you know, time period. We you got to wait until all the the eyes uh, are dotted and the T's are crossed. But but uh, feel very good about that defensive end. Got some speed rushers, Kaeo Akana from Hawaii and Chase Kennedy from Texas. Good players. A corner, Elijah Davis. Uh, a couple safeties that we needed, uh, Jocelyn Malaska from uh, Oklahoma and uh, Sione Vaki he was a, a missionary uh, church mission uh, served a church mission we signed him actually two years ago he's back and he'll be joining us um, D tackles local kid Dal Dallas Vakalahi he will also be serving a, a church mission so we won't see him for a couple years but he's a, a guy we're excited about and Keanu Tanavasa who's coming back off a mission so the kind of the revolving door guys leaving guys coming back uh, all balances out but we feel like we're we're uh, in a good spot with those missionaries, and then athlete Carson uh, Tabarachi. He's he's uh, just a you know we're not sure where he's going to play. He's going to play somewhere. I promise you that. But we're not sure if it's going to be tight end, running back, linebacker. He's a guy that could play several spots, and uh, so we're excited about him as well. So excited about the whole class. And uh, like I said, we really feel like we helped ourselves, and still have the ability to. Uh, patch up any holes that uh, may occur in the roster or position groups as you move forward and guys uh, decide to exit if we have any of those. So I think I covered every guy, two, four, five, seven, nine, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, yep, all the guys that we can talk about right now, I believe I covered. So questions? Kyle, do you expect 
any more business today or even through the end of the week in terms of Yes, uh, probably, well, one for sure today, but it's kind of, you know, we, we have two things we want to adhere to. Number one, they have to be cleared and signed and, and processed with our compliance with the NC2A. And number two, at the player's request, some don't want to announce just yet. They want to wait until, uh, you know, maybe they're having a, a, their own announcement party or whatever. So we want to make sure we satisfy those two requirements and, or requests. Uh, first one a requirement, second one a request. And so, yes, the short answer is yes. Uh, we should have uh, another sign today. But wh when we announce it, we'll be up to the, the signee. Now, as far as the backers go, Brandon Lander was obviously a, a big key, but with you guys only losing <coughs> Nephi, but then you guys also have Karenny Reed, Ethan Calvert, Mason Tupaga, guys like that down the line. Was, was linebacker really a, a, a spot where you guys were trying to focus on? Yeah, we always want to be up to the numbers. Uh, we have a budgeted number for each position group, and uh, we were down a couple numbers when, when you talk about Devin Lloyd moving on, maybe uh, Nephi, and and so we uh, felt like those two guys were exactly you know what we needed and and uh we feel like we really bolstered that position group it's going to make for great competition and uh that always brings out the best in everybody is competition and where, where does lander uh you know stack up against when, when, when you watch his film compared to cody he uh, Cody was was not quite as college ready uh, when he was in high school. He was a little undersized. He worked his tail off to put on the weight when he got here. But Lander has got a much bigger frame. He's a couple inches taller, probably 15 pounds heavier than Cody was coming out of high school. And so, uh, and to take nothing away from Cody, he was a terrific linebacker for us. But we think Lander's upside is tremendous. Kelly, this is the first year you've gotten Chad. Of this is, is the recruiting process. It seems mm -hmm. like you're able to get in the doors of a lot of receivers this year. How do you feel like he's he's been able to kind of add to your recruiting pool? Very well. He's, he's done a great job. He works hard. He's a, <coughs> a tireless recruiter. Um, has a great rapport with the players. Seems to really connect with uh, with his recruits, and and you see right here we have three right now. We're going to get another one or two before it's all over. With with that kind of following up on that, you've got a lot of guys that can potentially play on both sides of the ball. DB or <coughs> at this point in the in this time, do you feel like you've got a good idea of that, or do you are you kind of taking some of these guys expecting to switch maybe some of them? Uh, we've got a pretty good idea where we think everyone's going to end up, but uh, for like Carson Tabaracci, we don't know for sure. And so, uh, fortunately, a lot of these guys, uh, nine of these guys are here at mid-year, which allows you to try them at different spots in spring, which is a huge advantage and a huge luxury to be able to uh, find a, you know their best and their, their highest ceiling position during spring. That way, when you head into summer and fall, you've already got that set. Uh, this is the fifth year the early signing period has been in place. I guess there's some talk now at the higher levels about maybe doing away with the early signing mm -hmm. period. From your standpoint, as a coach, I'm curious if you're in favor of this early signing period. I am personally because uh, it, uh, you know, it, it, it tends to accelerate. Well, it does accelerate things, and, and I think it really favors and helps out programs that have stability in their coaching staffs because they're not scrambling. And, and when the coaching changes occur, they don't have as much time to recruit. And so selfishly, uh, I think it's good for us. And so that's uh, that's our take on it. But when you look at some of the offer sheets in the class, there's the guy at Lander Barton, an extensive offer sheet. Carson Tabarachi, another extensive offer sheet. What does it say about your program or where you're at? It says that our brand is becoming stronger. We're, we're building the brand year by year. And uh, we're getting in 
just about every single door that we want to get in. Now we're not getting all the players. Obviously, you got to still battle and try to get them signed. But but we're getting in doors every year. There's it's getting to the point where there's almost no door that we can't at least get you know get in or get some interest from the player because our name is starting to be uh, much more. Uh, you know, it's just more prominent out there. Now, it seemed, I, I don't know if I can, you know, I'd have to go back and look at it, but it seems like you were much more diverse in, in the sense of going all over the country this year. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that kind of your plan, is just try to be more national, or are you still kind of trying to focus on those main areas? Well, we still have our footprint that is the primary areas uh, in-state is where it all starts. we got three in-state guys this year that we're, we're signing that we feel really good about. Southern California and California in general always be a big uh part of what we do in recruiting Texas but yeah we're, we're expanding uh, and trying to I'm not it's not a concerted effort to go national but I just think our name is, as we just talked about is becoming more nationally recognized and, and players in Florida particularly in Florida we've had really good success with a lot of players out of that state and our name is is uh, pretty good down there because of the success that uh, those players have had Zach Moss Tyler Huntley Damari Simpkins I mean just to name a few uh- how did winning the Pac-12 championship and, and going to the Rose Bowl help you sort of in the pitches and sort of these late plays? Helps tremendously. The, the, the best thing you can do for recruiting and the thing that can make the biggest impact is winning. You know, it's, it's great to have uh, coaches that can evaluate and that can develop relationships with players. But if you want to say what is the one thing that boosts recruiting more than anything else, it's winning. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. When you are recruiting and you're talking to especially parents and high school coaches, how much do you point to a guy like Devin who came in here as, as one thing and is leaving here as quite a different thing? It's, we use that, uh, not use it, but we uh, illustrate that to to a lot of the players that we recruit, and and uh, you know we've had their services throughout the country that rate you as far as your development of players within your program. And we always come out very high in those services, and we we make sure that, that that's just another selling point that we use, and uh, we lean on to uh, convince these guys that if they come here, they get a great chance to develop into the best player they can become. How difficult is it to manage? You talked about budgeting spots for your position groups. How difficult is it to manage that throughout the season? More so now with the portal than it used to be. It used to be once your roster was set, very little change. I mean, you might have a guy or two here and there quit, but uh, it is much more volatile now, much more movement, and uh, obviously that's for the entire country. That's I'm not speaking for us in particular, but uh, it's uh, you can have a position group decimated pretty quickly with two or three transfers in the same, you know, within the same position group. And so that's why we held back, like I said, X amount of scholarships to uh, patch any holes that might uh, arise. Now, this isn't recruiting, Devin barely missed out on uh, you know, I know. What that, does that say to you? That says that there's one group out there that uh, doesn't evaluate as well as the others, I guess, because he was – I can't – I can't even fathom that he is not a first-team All-American in everybody's eyes, but but each everyone has their own opinion, and I guess that was that entity's opinion, and so you move on. I mean, it's uh, you know Devin Lloyd is going to be a, a terrific pro player, and he's got a, a bright future. So even though that's a little bit of a disappointment, that won't phase him. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate you. You, you said nine early signees? Nine. nine. Not early signees, nine, but early, early enrollees. Yeah, nine guys will be here uh, January. There's Kyle Whittingham on signing day. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show as they win their eighth straight game. Stay with us. 
Good morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz take down the Los Angeles Clippers. Let's get to the best of the postgame show. It's your game recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz have now won eight consecutive games. Jake Scott with you. 124-103, Jazz beat the Clippers. Big night from Donovan Mitchell, 27 points on 10 of 15 shooting. Six assists for Donovan as well. Four Jazz players with 20 points or more. Donovan with 27. Rudy uh, had 20 and 7. 17 boards, Bogdanovich with 20, and Jordan Clarkson with 21 coming in off the bench. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. They were doing some really good things offensively, and you know I thought our guys did a better job really the whole second half of of locking in. And you know we had a couple small stretches where we turned the ball over, and they made us pay for it. But other than that, I thought you know with a few exceptions, we were pretty consistent defensively and. You know, when we do that, we're able to, you know, get out and get some shots on the other end. Given how offensively talented this team is, just their the ability to pour it on and stretch it. I mean, is it hard to kind of get that message to, to sink home sometimes of like maintaining defensive consistency? Um, you know, the times they're they're. they're the correlation between us playing defense and, you know, going on runs offensively is, you know, it's not one-to-one, but it's pretty close. So, um, you know, I think our understanding that when we do get stops that, you know, we can take advantage of them on the other end um, should be an incentive. Um, But to your point, um, that's something I think we've talked about and we've seen progress with where, you know, we don't, you know, let up with our concentration and our execution um, because that that's when our offense actually, you know, hurts our defense as opposed to, you know, the other way around where our defense is helping our offense. Where has this team made its most strikes defensively? Um, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, at the beginning of the year I and mean, up until recently is in transition. You know, we just weren't – we weren't – it was a lot of things. We weren't, we weren't urgent enough um, at the outset. Um you know, we were running back to men, you know, when you need to run back to protect the paint, you know, no one really has a man in transition. Um, I thought we were, you know, mentally we weren't going from offense to defense. We were kind of lingering on the offensive end, thinking about whatever, you know, didn't happen or should have happened and you know, didn't have our focus there. So that, that would be the primary thing um, where guys are just locked in from the beginning of the possession. So, um, you know, and, you know, other than that, I think, you know, just the general focus, you know, I, I think it is important to us. Um, you know, it's not like we're a bad defensive team, you know, but we look like a bad defensive team when we don't get back, you know, cause that's something that, you know, if, particularly if our bigs are trailing the play and we don't have that rim protection, um, people are attacking the rim. So we really have to make an effort to, you know, get them to quit on those initial thrusts and, and then get people in half court and, and try to lock in and guard. And by the way, they're a very good defensive team. I mean, I, and without obviously two, um, you know, not counting Kawhi, obviously, who's elite, um, you know, with PG and, and Batum both, you know, the way that they guard is, you know, I think they're one of the best defensive teams that we've seen. You know, we were fortunate. We shot it pretty well tonight and, you know, did some good things. But you can see why, 
you know, that their, their defense is rated as high as it is. They really get after it. Donovan's change of pace developed over the, kind of the course of his career and especially recently to get him kind of the looks that he got tonight. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the decision, you know, early in the possession of whether or not to explode and try to attack the rim, even from the backcourt, um, which sometimes is there where you can just get by people with speed um, to recognizing when that's not there and being patient as, as he crosses the midcourt line. And then you have another opportunity, you know, to, to do that, whether it's rejecting and pick and roll or turning the corner. Um, so those two situations, you know, at the beginning of a possession. And then obviously I think, you know, we've talked about his reads and pick and roll where I thought he did an excellent job tonight of, you know, mixing up the off the dribble three when the bigs were able to really get a hit and that was open. And then, you know, also attacking the rim, you know, and finishing or finding people. So I thought he, you know, he played a really balanced game offensively tonight. There's coach Snyder after uh, his team wins 124 to 103. Let's now move on to the players. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. You know, Ryan getting open shots, getting the rim, getting fouled, uh, share the ball. I mean, it was, it was nice. Um, I think in the first half we we like we had a few times when we didn't run back as quick as we could, and uh, I feel like that, that was hard. It was staying in the game. Uh, second half we did a great job. Uh, either you're fighting right away or making sure that we run back and communicate, and uh, that, that's why I think we. We got stops. Is there a discussion that takes place between people at some point saying they were not doing enough of that, or is it just kind of? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, at halftime, obviously, we we felt like we could do better in that area, and uh, and yeah, throughout the game, you can feel, you know, you can feel like uh, individually and and then collectively, but everyone can feel that they can do a little better, and uh, and we do it. I mean, we, we try to hold each other accountable, but at the same time, you know, it's going to come within ourselves. And, uh, you know, we it's good to see that we are uh, pretty much on the same page on that. You've had a lot of these long winning streaks during your time here. How does this one kind of compare to the other ones? I think that's probably the first time that when we don't really care like about the winning streak, you know, we just, uh, we just care about getting better. And obviously, we want to win every game. But... Uh, Winning them in a row is not really, you know, we, we try to win every night. And uh, more importantly, we just try to get better. And uh, there might be some games when we play really well and we might not win. And th- there's going to be games when we play, we don't play well, but we're going to win. So, you know, it's all about the mindset and, uh, and getting better every night. Playing as well as you have all season at this point yeah. right now? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, I think since the New Orleans game, uh, something shifted in our mindset. We realized that, uh, like, we could be a much better team if we if we play. Obviously, if we move the ball and share the ball, but also if we run back on defense and uh, the transition defense has been. I, I think was the the difference between us being a top ten defense and us being like a top two or top one defense. So it's uh, you know, I think we changed that. And uh, tonight, first half was a little, a little rough, but. Uh, we're able to, you know, correct it. And then second half was great. 
dunk he had late in the fourth quarter. You know, afterwards he kind of stood there and let the big yell. What was the emotion that moment kind of led to that? Uh, it was cool. It was cool. The crowd was into it. You know, I, I try to, uh, yeah, just just having fun. You know, just try to try to enjoy the moment. Put a little bit of maybe extra motivation going to this one. I mean, I know that they're down. I mean, it's, it's human, obviously. Uh, you know, when you're losing on someone in the playoffs, like people are going to ask you questions about it and stuff. But uh, I think our team, our, our team is first of all Paul George and Batum didn't play, and Kawhi is hurt, so. <laughs> Uh, it's not the same team that beat us in the playoffs, but uh, for us, it's really about keeping it better. And obviously, we want to win every night. You know, we we competitors, but we understand that there is a bigger picture, and uh, you know, we're gonna we want to keep getting better. You mentioned that early on, the scoring just wasn't about the level that it matched up as a defense, and then it got kind of turned off. Is there something different that happened, or is it just a matter no. of starting to go right? I say that, but actually, I, I feel like we're playing the right way. I mean, I feel like we're moving the ball. Uh, you know, it's just that when when I say not as good, it means it was good, but it wasn't as great as it was later on. When we, I mean, we we just uh, pretty much made the right play every time. You know, the guys were really uh, uh, making the right read when uh, when they help on the B. We we had threes, threes, and when they didn't, we got dunks. There's Rudy, 20 points, 17 boards, two block shots, three assists for Rudy Gobert. He had another monster night. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. What a, you know, the last seven minutes, you guys kind of took it to another level offensively. What changed in that kind of moment that led to it? I mean, even even defense, defensively, beside uh, beside the first quarter, they scored more than 30 points. And then a couple of minutes in, uh, in the third quarter when they had a couple fast break points, I think that we did a... Pretty pretty solid job. Rudy was was dominating the pain, but uh, last seven seven minutes, like you mentioned, they they start to to double Donovan and and, and kind of kind of blitz him, and he did a did a great job moving the ball and and, and fighting the the open guys in court. Get this back to back three, just as soon as you touched it, the ball, you just let go and nothing but net. Do you feel like when you're can you tell, like, when you're in that big group shooting the ball, that it's just like that instantaneous? I mean, it's just just instinct. I'm trying to get my to get my threes up. I had a couple in a, in the second quarter as, as well, but like I said, I had last last two threes because they they double they double Donovan and he made a great great play. So Rudy said that, like, on the win streak right now that. The mindset has changed with the team. Where like maybe in the past you might have been like really excited about maybe extending the win streak longer and longer, but now it's like you don't really care how long the win streak is, just that you are getting the wins because you guys aren't thinking about that every single night. What's that kind of mindset change for you? I mean, nothing. I don't think that anything change change for us. We are trying to play to play better each game and and and, and kind of kind of get better get better as a team we had a before this winning streak we had a really really problems in the defensive defensive transition last last couple of games we've been one of the best teams in a in a league in in defensive transition so it's just like step by step getting getting better in a, in aspect that we are we are not right right where we want to be 
that's the that's our mindset and then if we win the if we win the game it's even it's even better but i think it's most important it's more important than uh, than this winning streak it's it's getting getting better each game those second quarter threes like came with like 20 seconds left on the shot clock right like super early in, in transition would you have felt confident like taking those threes on other situations that you've been in you know like or because the transition three is such an important part of the Jazz's offense, do you feel like you're more comfortable taking those than you otherwise would be? I mean, it's it's big emphasis from a, from a coaching coaching standpoint to to trying to play play with a with a kick ahead and and trying to shoot those those early three, especially me, JC, and uh and uh and a Joe because Mike and Donovan are mostly handling and playing in a, in a pick and roll but like i said we are we are all i think confident taking those those early trees there there are other teams that have good playmakers like you do like good shooters like you do. what's setting this team apart in terms of its offense production right now i mean it's just just an unselfishness from our from our point guard like I, like i said and, and and just Donovan being Donovan and and, and having team double him and, and and blitz him, it's allow allow us to play to play four and three on on other side. So I think that that's that was biggest part of this game. I mean, I had a couple bad bad shots or bad layups tonight. Obviously, they blocked me. They block my shot twice, so I gotta gotta be better. Start to use like pump fake or or, or jump stop, and then play off two feet. But uh, but overall, yeah, I, f- I feel pretty confident going to the basket as well. There's Bogdanovich, twenty points, great night shooting for him. Seven of ten from the field, six of seven from three. Let's now wrap things up with Donovan Mitchell. Your change of pace was really effective. Uh, eight of eight from inside the arc. How is that kind of your your time? You've talked about how you want to change your timing this year and kind of make it kind of a weapon for you. How does that happen? Just trying not to be predictable. I think it's the biggest thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find the balance between, you know, explosion and what I did in the playoffs last year, being able to stay grounded because I had no choice, you know. So I fell in love with how I played in the playoffs as far as the pace and change and because I was like, you know, it's a, it's a sense of maturity for me. You know, I've been able to do one thing my whole life. So now I'm at a point where my elevation is back, my explosion is back. So how do I combine it? You know, and I, it took me a little while to get it figured out and I'm starting to find ways to, you know, change your pace and then attack, you know, look one way, attack this way, set up my explosions by doing doing different things. Um, so just trying to find that balance, I think is the biggest thing. Um, and not always just being in attack mode, you know, who does he played against him and we played against him tonight. Eric Bledsoe does a phenomenal job of that. You know, he's a guy, he's, he's gotten older, but in, in, when he was in LA, especially I've watched, I watch him, you know, why don't why, how he attacks when he was in Phoenix as well, just attacking that 45, attacking those gaps. And, you know, uh, it may seem random, but he's a guy that, that really can get downhill and use that explosiveness and use his body. So I'm trying to, you know, just incorporate that as well as being methodical with him as well. A couple of weeks ago, you said you weren't will, ready to say that New Orleans game was a turning point. Are you ready to say that now? No, because we have a lot more to do. Um, I think eight grim win streak is nice, um, but we got to keep it going. You know, at the end of the day, we just got to continue to play to play to play well. Um, it, it's it's 
it's easy, it would be easy to say that, you know, but there's there's a lot more we can continue to build on and improve on. Um, I'm really happy with the, how the road trip ended. I don't think I spoke to you guys since then. Like that was that was impressive um, for us, just how we looked as a group. You know, to come back and respond the way we did tonight against a team that beat us last year was was impressive as well. And you know, again, we got to get ready for a tough back to back coming up and to stay with it, man. That's it, you know, because we've done this. You know, we've 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 been the best in the regular season. We've we've played successfully. So now it's being now we're looking at little things. We want to be great, you know, but we want to be great in every facet. You know, we don't want to just have the best record. It's how can we be great in every single facet of the game. So um, once we have that great game, we've had really good games, but I can't say we've had a great game and I'm holding us. And I think we all are holding ourselves to a high standard because we understand, you know, we've been the best in the regular season, but we got to continue to build for the end of the road. It's a bunch of threes in the first half. Um, or, you know, when you start a game, does that change the way you approach the rest of the game? Uh, no, you know, continue to continue to be aggressive. You know, I had some success getting into the paint, and I was like, you know what, the shot's not falling. I took one deep one that I probably should have stepped in a little closer um, in the first in the first first half. But outside of that, just continue to, to keep the defense on our heels and being able to shoot it, whether it goes in or not. You know, it it forces the, the bigs to be able to forces them to have to you know guard it. You know, because it's still a threat. And now you're able to get downhill and attack and you know find seams and create for guys. About you guys had numbers going on. Yeah, I think Rudy was open, you know, cutting by. I couldn't see because whoever was in front of me cut off my vision as I was going up. So I was like, you know, I told asked him after he was open, he said, yeah. But, you know, those are one of those where it's like you already I already made my decision to go up. So at that point, you know, trying to throw it over is, is, a, is a tough one. I've made that pass, but, you know, I'm already committed to the shot. So, uh, but just move in, you know, if he closes, I go by him and, and get to the room. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I, I actually, yeah, a few times, a few times he has, but you know, bigs always feel like they're open. I think Hassan thinks he's open every play of the game, you know, so it's just, a, it's just a, it's a big thing, uh, for sure. What, did, what went right for you guys in that last seven minutes when you, know, you came in, the game was at seven, you hit that three, you push it to 10, and then all of a sudden you looked up and it was 22. Uh, we got stops and ran, um, executed, you know, and I think. You know, when there was when we were struggling early in this year, the one thing that was consistent that you all would say was, you know, we all saw was the final five to six minutes. We looked like a completely different team. So you you look at how we played throughout three quarters. We played pretty solid. You know, they went on that 11-0. They went on a run earlier. I forgot when it was. And you come in the game and it's like, all right, like, you know, six, seven, seven minutes left, whatever, you know. That three kind of set the tone, come down, get a stop, come back, you know, continue to push the pace and not just – walking the ball up and kind of being slow. We kind of got stops, we defended, we guarded, we rebounded, and we were able to push and extend it up. He's not a guy that, like, we know a lot about his personality, I guess, off the court. Even if, like, I mean, he's, like, like to leave, get stressed, leave really fast, he leaves the practice facility as soon as you guys are done. What's he like? I mean, he's or do you not know he's there? I told you he's in the mafia. He's, he's, he's <laughs> sneaky. No, he's, he's like a sneaky, funny person. You know, he, he comes in and... Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Side Talk. You know, he's the second thing on Instagram, and he's the guy that always says beans, rice, Jesus Christ, and Byron. Like that's that's what he says every time, and I think that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. So like, he's funny. You know, he's funny. He doesn't when he speaks. It's like it's it's worth to listen. Um, he's he comes in. He's a pro. Um, plays through anything. Uh, sickness, tired, hurt. You know, he's a competitor. I have the ultimate ultimate respect for him. It's funny. I've watched him play in Brooklyn um, 
when I was not in the league. So it's it's pretty cool, like I said, to be able to have him on my team as well. But like I said, I wouldn't have known that he was this type of person. Um, he's 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 hilarious, man. But at the end of the day, he competes. He's a competitor, and we, we love him. You ever ask why he leaves so fast? No, you know I might I might ask, like genuinely want to know because I just figure he has some some spot in Salt Lake that I we don't know about that he takes his crew with and and chills. Uh, but his crew his crew is always with his his group his his girl and his his, his homies and all that. So um, you know they must have a spot out there that I don't no one knows about that he just goes and chills. <laughs> so a week ago in Minnesota we've got a couple Timberwolves talking about how Ruiz. Overrated defender tonight. We got Marcus Morris talking about how Rudy's actually the only guy on this team capable of defending anything. Why do you think you guys are like constantly kind of the subject of those guys? He, so what did Marcus Morris say? He said that no one. He said that serious guys' team is basically just no one can defend to so funnel everything to Rudy and have him take care of everything for you. Uh, well, I want to address that. Look, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, they want to – Rudy said it best. You know, they want to go ahead and say stuff. They they can say, it. you know, just go out there and prove it. You know, <clears throat> like I said to you guys before, we've done a lot well in the regular season. We've done – we've been a pretty solid team. But now we got to go out there and prove it. And then this will stop. You know, it happened to Milwaukee, I think, a few years ago. Same, similar stuff. So, at the end of the day, look, we got to go out there and just do it. You know, it's not about, you know, we can't look and say why are people doing this. Like, they don't want to say it. They let them say it. I don't, I don't think any of us really care. It's just a matter of now, you know, we just got to go out there and just prove it when it's time. You know, continue to build upon the regular season, continue to win, continue to find our – build good habits. And when it comes time, it's, it's time. You know, and I think – like, I think we have a group to do it. And we got to go out there and show it. Otherwise, you know. I mean, you heard it on TNT when Chuck said we were going to, you know, win. Everybody sucked their teeth, you know. It is what it is. You know, we got to go out there as a group and win straight up. Like, you know, um, I think we all feel that way. Lights like tonight in the past eight games look phenomenal. We're building great habits. and We just got to keep building as a group and we should be good. There's Donovan Mitchell, 27 points, six assists, two steals from Donovan. Great night. He did it on 10 of 15 shooting. Incredibly efficient. He was eight of eight for non-three-point shots. What a night from uh, Donovan Mitchell. Up next for the Utah Jazz, they take on the Spurs here at Vivint Arena. Coming up tomorrow night, that game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Right side, Bogdanovich. Quick release, three, and he buried it. Bogey's four for four from three. 12 points for Bogey. Back door. Here comes Rudy Gay. Slam dunk. Joe Ingles found the cutting. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert took the right hand and dunked it home. Donovan's back in. He had a monster third quarter. He'll just pull for three. And tickle the twine. O'Neal transition three. No good. Rudy Gobert with a one hand. Rock the Casbah. And the Utah Jazz blow out the Clippers in the fourth quarter, 123-104. That's eight in a row. 
Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Gobert, and Clarkson all with 20 points plus in the game. PK, didn't, didn't you know this was going to happen when the guys who we heard were questionable were in street clothes over there? Yep, they're out. Well, we know Leonard's been out for a good while, but yeah, when Paul George can go, and Paul George is a very good player. I enjoy watching him play basketball. He's having an excellent season, so certainly with those two, that's just too much firepower for a Jazz team. As I continue to say, knock, 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 knock. Onward! <laughs> they have health and protocol health. And it was actually good. I love the way Quinn Snyder is manipulating or negotiating or managing uh, Mike Conley's minutes. You didn't need him. 24, right? I mean, you got and other guys going. Get him out. Yep. There's a back-to-back coming up this weekend, so have him fresh. We thought, I thought for sure, I think you did too, that they were going to be sitting him in the second half of back-to-backs this year. But David Locke said if they keep the keep his minutes around 24-25 instead of 30-32-34, then... He can probably do the back-to-backs. Yeah. Well, I, would, I mean, it just basically, it just depends on what Ainge thinks. <laughs> Danny Ainge, <laughs> CEO and alternate governor. <laughs> I'd like to I'm the alternate mayor, I Instead think. of owners' meetings, they have the board of governors. Yeah. So and not is all it of, Ryan Smith? Not all of the owners want to go. So, yeah, so that's it. So you have to have one of two people. You can't rotate, like, five people. They have to be designated. That. Exactly. So Ainge has been designated, and you were... If you were on the press conference, there were a lot of Boston questions at the end. When they went to Zoom, there were all sorts of Boston questions. And so I think by making him alternate governor, it takes a little bit of the sting out of, I'm retiring. He was never retiring. I'm back. He's, I know. He was always he, coming I mean, here. he called it. He didn't want to be the day-to-day guy. He said he, he didn't wanted want to, to do, do something. He, but he, want to he do, said that months ago. He didn't want to do the 16 to 18 hours. And he's best buddies with Ryan Smith. The thing that I don't understand is how is he going to run the Jazz and BYU at the same time? Delegating? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's six to eight hours here, six to eight hours there. That's why you can't do sixteen to eighteen. He's there aren't thirty six hours in a day. I mean, Kalani has his raise, and he's on the Zoom thing, and the uh, money in the program, and he says Ainge is sitting off to his left. And we go to the Big Twelve thing. There's Ainge. <laughs> we go to the football games. There's Ainge. He's at women's basketball. The guy's been the godfather of BYU basketball, and now apparently football for a good long while. I mean, he's around his influence. Uh, I guess the Board of Governors, so he can get up to see Austin. Uh, uh, free trip or something. He likes his free golf, I can tell you that much. And I'm thinking from Ryan Smith's perspective, if you're going to hire your friends, hire somebody who's got 40 years in the business. That's a nice friend to have. There it is. One of my friends texted me who's way into basketball. Uh, so, the Jazz going to be piling up draft picks now? <laughs> <laughs> he liked to get involved whenever stars were available. So, we'll see if we hear the Jazz rumored in the uh, in the star category when stars are up for grabs. I love Ryan Smith's answer. Basically, everybody wants to know, who's got the final say? Yeah. Well, ultimately, it's the guy who owns the team or the person. In this case, it's okay. Ryan Smith. But I love the way he said, you know, it's not going to come to that because I never thought it would come to that because if it does come to that, you're probably not going to be 
in a good situation, and it's almost going to be a flip of the coin, luck of the draw type thing, because I would want my basketball people, whatever people, in this case it's basketball, but I would want some form of consensus. This is the way we're going to go. So you've got Jay-Z, who has been doing it for a good while. Ainge has been doing it virtually his entire adult life, and he's obviously an expert. So I wouldn't necessarily want those two to be at odds. If I'm the owner... I have the final decision, but I don't want the final decision. I want it to be a consensus. We need to go in this direction. We need to sign this player, draft this player, re-sign this player, whatever it is. There's all sorts of cut this guy. You know, there's day-to-day decisions, and then there's just huge decisions. But I would prefer that it would be a committee who all agree, at least from, and I've never been in that situation, nor will I ever be in that situation, but I think that's the way I would like it. A hundred percent on all of that stuff. And yet, nonetheless, there are times when people don't get to consensus. And it is what you want. But they don't get there. As of week, a drafting would be the most recent. Whether to trade Gordon Hayward or keep him and try to re-sign him would be another case. There are opinions all over the place. Yeah, but I don't know that they didn't reach a consensus on that. On those... I don't think they reached a consensus on either one of those. I don't I think, know. I think there were people who finally deferred because somebody else had more power and had the had the final well set. but i'm not talking five six ten people i'm talking the, Two the, or three. the trinity yeah right jay-z danny and smitty <laughs> <laughs> what'd you do that for because well, we're kind of cash <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> something. I, I would say guys and we don't have to speak here's the way we figured out When I look up and I see all three of us have our caps the same way, then I know we're good. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. LeBron to to Westbrook. Westbrook driving to the rim. Kicks it to Lee. Three-pointer. The rookie. will float it into Shea, and he throws up a three from 37 feet. Nothing but net. Temple was trying to foul him. They didn't call it. Inbound to Devontae. Three-quarter court. Good if it goes. He banked it in. He banked it in. He banked it in. The Pelicans have won by the most improbable shot you can even think of. Back-to-back improbable shots. And the Pels win it 113-110, and they are running off the floor and getting the heck out of Dodge. Two crazy finishes in the NBA. The Lakers-Mavericks finish uh, was right before the Jazz game on ESPN, so some of you may have uh, accidentally caught that as they hit uh, four three-pointers down the stretch on those final possessions, trading threes back and forth before Austin Reeves wins it. And he was fouled. The Lakers didn't get a call they deserved, PK. Why not? They, they didn't, didn't need it, it, but he got fouled. You swallow your whistle in that situation because if you, get, if you call a foul and the ball doesn't go in, everybody goes nuts and you're on the road. No referee wants to be booed by 15,000 people. Uh, then they so, got away with an obvious foul because that was a foul. Know, that's Every, not the story of the game. Didn't matter because Reeves hit the shot. The rookie getting mobbed by his teammates. And as good as that finish was, then you see the Pelicans and the Thunder 
Shea Gilders Alexander. Oh, that was luck. Both, Off balance. Both. I know they were. It was unbelievable, though, to see them both go in. Yeah. But 30 feet from the hoop. Two teams going nowhere. Off balance. And he flings it in off the dribble. Good, good for him. Nobody cares. Uh, to me, I was stunned that Westbrook did not take that shot. He didn't want it. He had the ball good. in the corner, and he could have taken it, and he good. just hit a three. Good. I'm glad he did. From that if I'm corner. a Laker, I, I'm glad. Yeah. And he, I thought he held it. He clearly held it and waited for the guy to run at him, and then he took him off the dribble. And so it was a great it. decision, and then he ends up with Reeves. And it all comes back to ASU. Because? Because both of Reeves' parents played basketball at Arkansas State. There it is. <laughs> I've walked the halls at Arkansas State. You walk the halls. Oh, okay. Walk the campus. <laughs> I've been inside their basketball thing, and then they're uh, ba- I watched some baseball there. Uh, you had a lot of time to kill. Bored out of my mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. I, I like that that Westbrook was going team and wasn't going star. And uh, Reeves there, wide open, bright pass, and he makes that shot, and they go nuts. I, I love that stuff. I mean, it's just a. That's team basketball, man. This no-name dude who was undrafted makes the team. Although he did average 18 points last year for Oklahoma. It's not like he was he's some total stiff. Coming out of nowhere. Yeah. He's a good college player, but a lot of good college players can't make the jump to the NBA. Oh, for sure. And he yeah. has made it, at least for now. Yeah. Oh, if he never does another thing, so that what? Was, that was pretty cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was a great finish because the Mavs had hit a three to tie it up, and and Russell Westbrook hit the three to go ahead, and the Mavs hit another three to tie it up. And Plus, it was OT, right? It was, yeah. That was all. That was all overtime there. Those yeah. last four three pointers back and forth they went. Other uh, scores: the Rockets have been rolling, but the Cavs, Cavs got them, one twenty four to eighty nine. So after a really good stretch, the Rockets have now lost three out of four. The Spurs will be here. On Friday, to play the Jazz, the Hornets beat the Spurs 131-115. Gordon Hayward, big game, 41 G points. G-time. G-time went for 41. Yeah, I really don't think about that. Does he go G-time anymore? I don't have any idea. So now is he just back to regular white dude making $30 million a year? 41 points on 15 <laughs> of 19 shooting. He was hot. Yeah. And They'll be here next week. And he wanted the spotlight, and you've scored 41 and we're hot, and nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> no, everybody's everybody's talking about the Dallas-LA Two ending. Everybody's talking nowhere. about New Orleans ending. Yeah. The thing that I liked is that the Grizzlies are something like 9-1, and 10-1 without Morant. I just looked at that the other day, before they were 9-1 or 10-1, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and I thought, oh, I'm really surprised by that. And because when the Lakers got them, that's what drew my attention to it. I think, man, they are playing really good basketball without their best player. That's impressive. Dallas Mavericks got them. They had a five-game win streak. Mavs beat them, and now they've won four in a row with a 10-point win over the Blazers, 113-103. to So they're in good shape. Climbing. Maybe they'll be the team that makes that run in fourth place and joins the top three. Right now, they are in fourth place. The three games behind the Jazz. And the Jazz are two behind the Suns. Who are half game off the Warriors' pace. All right. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. 
Ashworth on the right wing. We'll take a quick three. Knocks it down. Ashworth on the right side. Buries the three. And Ashworth's got 10 points on the night tonight. Long three by Ashworth again. Wow! Steven Ashworth, heat check, my friend. Buries the three. Aggies back up by 15, 47-32. Ashworth the three. And he knocks it down from the left wing. Steven Ashworth's got 24 tonight. Aggies up 77-58, their largest lead of the game of 19. Ashworth finished with 27 points. He was 7 of 11 on three-pointers. As a team, Utah State shot 50% from beyond the arc, and they rolled with a 95-80 win over Weber State in Ogden. They got up early in that game, PK, and Weber State spent a lot of the night chasing them to no avail. They didn't win, so it was certainly to no avail. Wildcats fall to 9-2 on the year. The Aggies improved to 8-3. Dixie State beats Sago American Indian College 114-49. John Judkins sets the career mark for wins amongst all head coaches in Utah collegiate history, men's or women's. He's won 583 games. Lane Elliott had won 582. Okay. Never heard of that before. Where'd you get that, Yach? Never heard of that uh, stat. Dixie put it out, I think. Uh, okay. Good friend Steve Johnson down there, their SID. Or Utah Tech. Are they Utah Tech yet? Not yet. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I see Urban come up to me out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> he comes up to me and he says, hey, dip, another word, uh, make your effing kicks. And then proceeds to kick me right in the leg, right in the hamstring. Um, also, on the, on the leg, on the hip, that kept me out for 12 games last year. And I couldn't believe it happened. I looked up at him. I said, don't you ever kick me again. <laughs> or else I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to tell the media and get you fired. Yeah, well, where was he? This is like a little late here. That's, that's like piling on now. Well, sure, everybody's dumping on him. I might as well, too. And Urban is out. It's like the guy who's... Watches somebody beat the crap out of somebody. Oh, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I'll go punch him. <laughs> now that he's down on the ground, yeah, I'll come over and kick Where him. Where were you months ago? Hey, kickers. Maybe, maybe he did and nobody took him for serious. I don't know. Kickers are people, too. Yeah, but, I, I mean, that's an isolated incident. I'd have to look at it. Was it a tap? Was it a playful thing? Right, exactly. I mean, it's all yeah. sorts of sarcasm. So, But anyway. But Urban's out after matter. 13 games. Yeah, I mean, shocking development. Daryl Bevel will be the interim head coach for Jacksonville. Well, I, I just hope for Jacksonville that, uh, the, that they have the same success the last time Urban Meyer was ex- uh, succeeded by a Mormon. Kyle Whittingham. And now Daryl Bevel. Yeah. There it is. Those are two brothers. Bevel's from Arizona. Went to, uh, I think he went to like Chaparral or, or Coronado. Uh, so I've been, and he went to NAU before he went over, went on a mission and then went to uh, Wisconsin. And then he's been in the coaching ranks. Called the play uh, instead of giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch there that allowed Brady to win a Super Bowl with the Butler interception. So Bevel's been around. He's got a home in Provo. At least he had one anyway. His daughter was a player for the BYU softball program. Yeah. Heck of a player, man. What a stick. And uh, so, you know, shocking development to me because Urban has found success everywhere he's gone, but he didn't find success here. We've got Lincoln Kennedy coming up at the bottom of the hour, and he can speak to that as far as somebody who played collegially and in the NFL. I mean, this doesn't work. Obviously, it didn't work. And you could say, oh, well, college coaches don't. That's not true. That's not true. 
Most college coaches don't. There are a few exceptions. Well, how many of them have done it? It's not that many. Is that there... seem to have slowed down recently. Probably because I think people have assumed the college coaches can't do it. Okay. It seemed like it was a bigger thing in the 80s and 90s. Kingsbury's doing it. 10-3. and three. I think coaching is coaching. I mean, you got to treat people differently in the way it is. I wonder if he he if he is is Urban Meyer, the Rick Majerus of football. A little bit. Yeah, most people think going. that Majerus wouldn't have succeeded with his tactics, right, at the NBA level, and he was smart enough to know don't even try it. A lot of college coaches win because they get to programs that have advantages and they have talent advantages routinely and they win a lot and then you get to the NFL and you don't have those talent advantages. Now, Kingsbury is an interesting case because he's a Texas Tech and yeah, it's a Power 5 program, but it's not like they have advantages versus Oklahoma and Texas and Oklahoma State and maybe even a few other schools, Baylor maybe. So maybe he had figured out how to win without having those overwhelming advantages, whereas Urban always took jobs where the where the roster was loaded. I don't know. That Bowling Green was loaded. I can't speak to that. The next three were. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't know that Ohio State was. It got loaded. It was easy to be loaded. But I think that he had to clean up some mess, and then he creates messes too. But, but I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a kid who went like 86-4 and four in mm-hmm. high school and college. Yeah. And now he's 2-11. and 11. Yeah. Coming off a four-interception game. And Mac Jones looks like he's light years ahead of him. And then, what are you doing on that? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was a star probably when he was playing uh, the Ute Conference football. Arizona Cardinals have lost star wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins for the rest of the regular season. He sprained his knee in the game Monday night with the Rams. He is expected to undergo surgery on his injured MCL. His recovery window is six weeks, which would potentially allow for return in the playoffs if they make a deep run. Thursday night football, the Chiefs and the Chargers. Big game in the AFC West with the Chiefs sitting on the top spot and the Chiefs now after a really bad start, have rallied and gotten to the point where home field advantage in the playoffs is a real possibility. They're sitting at 9-4, and four, tied with the Titans and the Patriots for the best record in the AFC. But the Chargers can win the division because they're only a game back. So, high-stakes game. Thursday Night Football tonight, 620 on Fox and the NFL Network. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. That's fine. Yeah, we have nothing to hide. So it, it, we, we care about our players, and, our, and our, that means our walk-ons as well. So if they want to question that, that's okay. We'll be, we'll be fine. Kalani Sataki on the NCAA investigating their Built Bar NIL deal. Who? What? The NCAA investigating? Click. What are the rules? How could they have broken them? Because the rules are so fuzzy. There are exactly. no rules. I, I'm with you, PK. There are no rules. And on top of that, you know, the NCAA does have a great knack for messing up PR stuff. And they so, messed this one up. So you got all kinds of stories about people getting one point whatever million, and now some walk-on gets six grand, and they're going nuts? Okay. They have no power. Uh, Bruce uh, Pearl, right? He got a two-game suspension. Yeah. The guy Four, treated, che- cheated, uh, go ahead. Four years of probation. Yeah. And he cheated massively at Tennessee, didn't he? Yes. And now he's doing this, and he got a two-game suspension. 
He has an assistant coach in jail, and the NCAA did essentially nothing. And Chuck Person got canned. I mean, come on. Unless you are breaking the law or academic fraud, I don't want to hear about it anymore because everybody's been doing it for years and years and years, and you retweeted somebody, some coach, saying, we've been doing this forever. Now it's just out in the open. It was Jimbo Fisher, Texas a Yeah, I've got 500 stories. And if I hear media people say, well, they don't get anything, those media people haven't been beat guys. (laughs) And they've been gifted jobs, and they didn't pay their dues to be at the ground level to hear things as I've had for 30 years now. Jimbo Fisher about stuff being under the table, and now it's just over the table. And Lane Kiffin at his press conference was talking about it, too. They well, all, they're going to go to the ones that get the most money. I yeah, saw that. Yeah, they all know what's going on. It's been that way forever. To say these kids don't get anything, the stars, is so ignorant. Deion Sanders, Jackson State had the biggest stunner of the early signing period as they flipped five-star cornerback Travis Hunter from Florida State. They got him to sign with Jackson State. He was the number one or two-rated recruit in the entire 2020 recruiting class nationally, depending on which rankings you follow. Yak, you think there's any NIL money changing hands there? There is a rumor that he has a big deal in the works. The thing that I want to see is when Sanders gets the traditional uh, school offer, because he's big on the historically black college, and that's great and all. But when push but comes to shove and you're all someone from the SEC or ACC million, comes calling yeah, yeah, yeah. for five years and $15 million, are you going to take it? When Florida State comes calling for their boy. Well, they just extended uh, Norvell. Come on, man. Whack him. Whack him. <laughs> wow, yuck. What are you, a Florida State booster? Oh, he, he came on our show once when he was an assistant with the Devils. He did. He did. I remember. <laughs> yuck, man. Bloodthirsty yuck. Well, if Dion's stealing guys from his alma mater, the alma mater might as well go hire him. Oh, Dion didn't steal him from his alma mater. It's an NIL deal. There's all kinds of rumors out there about how big the money is, and some of it is potentially massive. I don't know if, how true those are. As it should be. Take the money. money. Go on, take the money and run. Especially you're of that age. I have no idea what his family background is. Like football, take get, the money, you man. You get hurt and you're done? Uh, a tennis. Take the money. the money. I don't care what sport it is. Take the money. Uh, the people who tell you it's not about the money, they got the money. Texas running backs coach Stan Drayton was hired as the new head coach at Temple University, which means right now every FBS school has a head coach. All the jobs are filled. Now maybe the NFL will come along and take somebody, or maybe somebody will retire at the end of the year. Rich get richer. Alabama adds former LSU All-American corner Eli Ricks to their top five rated signing class, continuing a trend of top-rated transfers picking the Crimson Tide. They're getting their pick of everything. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Lincoln Kennedy will join us. LK with DJ and PK. That's going to happen next. Raider Radio and Pac-12 Network analysts will join us. Hans Olsen, co-host of Hans and Scotty G, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. He's calling BYU's bowl game. And Joe Ingles, TBD, but he's coming up later this morning, right here, probably at 8.30 or 9, but we'll see what works for him. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time to talk football right now with Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. DJ, PK, it's LK, wishing all of you and your listeners a happy holidays. What's going on, guys? Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and the story this morning that is spinning some people, people's brains here, Urban Meyer, out after 13 games, didn't even make wow. one year. Now, there right. were plenty of people who didn't think it would work, but if you're trying to figure out when it won't work and they'll give up, 13 games, you better have taken the under. And I don't think many people would have taken the under on one year. But nonetheless, he's gone at 13 games. What do you make of it? A little surprised. I mean, after all the hype that went into bringing Urban Meyer out of what people, what he said it was retirement, um, back into the, the game on an NFL level, having the first pick in the draft and everything else, a little surprised that they made it. But, you know, look, from the start, it seemed to be somewhat disastrous. It wasn't like Trevor Lawrence was, you know, they were making games. They they were having trouble winning games. Of course, the off-the-field controversies didn't help. But, you know, from what I've heard is that the the locker room just didn't believe in him. A lot of guys on that that team didn't want want to deal with him. Uh, And then, of course, the last little story that came out about the kicker being kicked and getting into a little bit of a verbal tiff with uh, with Urban Meyer didn't help. So um, I'm, I'm surprised the Jacksonville Jaguars did what they did, but they've been a, they've been a franchise that's been a little bit of a, a, a rough spot, if you will, for quite some time right now. You talk about how the locker room turned on him. You was a, you were a star in college. You played in the NFL, uh, so you understand the difference between college coaching and pro coaching. Uh, what do you need to do if you're a college coach to to get that credibility in the pro locker room? Because it seemed like right from the start there was all sorts of questions. You have to win. That's what it comes down to. Pros will follow you. Guys will follow you if you win, if it translates into wins. I remember I was uh, doing the radio show with uh, Fox Sports Radio and Anthony Argano when uh, Chip Kelly was in Philadelphia. And I said from the very start, there was something about Chip that kind of rubbed me the wrong way uh, as a professional. You know, when he came in and he wanted to take over everything and do things like buy science, I wanted to, he wanted to monitor how the guy slept, you know, what the, the food and everything else they were doing. I said, look, if you're on Takeaway Taco Tuesday, <laughs> then you better translate that into some wins. And it just didn't happen. You want, you want to have me run this fast-paced offense, sideline to sideline, where we're running 80 to 90 plays a game, we got to win. If not, I'm not going to believe in you because I'm a professional and I don't have to deal with a lot of the things that you've dealt with on the college level. College coaches have total control over their programs. They can bring in who they want. They can train who they want. They can make the decisions who they want as far as players on, 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 the, uh, on the field. You don't really have that same luxury when you're professional because if your quarterback's making $25 million, you can't really justify him sitting on the bench. And I know that's a low bid uh, these days what quarterback, quarterbacks are making, but you, you got to get my point. So it, it's got to translate into wins. And for Urban Meyer, didn't work. Chip Kelly didn't work. And that's why those guys have some early exits. So we can go through a whole list of, hey, this college coach made the jump, but these two didn't make the jump. But as the college game changes with the uh, transfer and with the NIL, 
I've been told by a former college player, there are people who are going to retire in the next few years because college coaches have had the hammer, and they're not going to have it, and they're going to realize it, and people who are maybe, you know, 10 years from getting out will be getting out in three or four because they're not going to like it. Will it make it easier for a college coach to make the jump to the pros, though? Will they have to manage the team in a similar way? No. Well, I, I, I never really thought about it like that. I, I guess they will. Right now with the transfer portal, you have, in, in my mind, free agency. It's amateur-level free agency. You have super seniors. You have guys that have been in college for six, seven, even sometimes eight years, um, depending on the situation. And, and, and they're all looking for uh, the, the best opportunities to stay on the field, to showcase their talent, to possibly move on to the next level. I, it's not about a degree anymore. It's really college football or college sports, not just football. College sports is changing. Um, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily in a good way. You're going to have places that are going to go to the highest bidder. Um, I do believe that athletes should be rewarded for their, their likeness and especially what they bring to the game. But at the same point, with this transfer portal the way it is, it's going to make it even harder because free agency is going to run rampant. That's, that's what, to me, the transfer portal is, free agency. Um, but as far as managing it, I don't know if that still translates to the pro game because – Yes, you got money at the pro level and everything else, but in most situations, a head coach has to answer to someone above him. When you're in college, you pretty much have control of it. You don't have a general manager. You have, of course, you have a college president or whatever, athletic director, uh, director, but you don't have a general manager that you have to answer to, an owner that you have to justify why this guy is not playing versus this guy. Um, it's a little bit more difficult, different. But you know, to your point. I think it might be something in the future to consider uh, whether college coaches can make the successful jump to NFL. I just think there are guys who are better suited for college than they are in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's undisputed that that's true. But at the same time, Lincoln, it still amazes me. You already brought up Kelly. Forget right. Kelly uh, in his current job. He was phenomenal, like 46-7 and seven or something at Oregon. Right. And then you've seen uh, Saban who was just phenomenal and has been phenomenal in college, it didn't work for him in the NFL. And the same thing with Meyer, who was phenomenal in college, and it doesn't... And we're not talking about, like, Cliffs Kingsbury was... He wasn't phenomenal in college. No, Um, no. And the Cardinals got it going on right now. We'll see what happens the rest of the year and into the future. So right now, today, it looks like a decent hire. But we had elite-level coaches, three elite-level coaches in the college ranks fail miserably in in the pro rank. I got to say, that is a surprise to me, to the level that they failed so miserably, almost like a complete opposite of what they had done, or in Saban's case, what he was going to do in the college ranks. Yeah, I mean, it is somewhat surprising uh, the guys that weren't able to make it work on the next level. But you know, I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys that believes, especially at the pro level, that a head coach in the National Football League has to be a good team manager. If he's one-sided, whether he's offense or defense, it doesn't always work out well. Because I've never liked the fact that a head coach will go while the defense is on the field. Offensive-minded head coach goes back and, and talks with his quarterback, sits down and looks at the, the the little computer as they go over plays while the defense is out there the defense coordinator takes over. I mean, I want you to be able to manage the entire team. I remember when Gruden first came to the Raiders, a lot of the defensive guys felt jaded because they felt they didn't care about the defense. 
You know, and, and so it's like, well, you know, why should we go out there and put the effort when all he cares about is offense? And, and I think that, that, that really deters a lot of teams or tight team chemistry, if you will. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to the pro game, it's really different. College, you, you know, Nick Saban has total control over Alabama. He, he recruits, he brings in who he wants, he can dismiss who he wants. No one's going to think twice about him. Why? Because he wins. Same things don't work on the professional level. You, if it doesn't translate into wins, it, like Bill Belichick has been able to do in New England, you're not going to give that coach total control of the car if it doesn't translate into wins. But Belichick has proven that he can do it his way, and it's worked for him. It's interesting you say that about coaches and paying attention to the whole game because I was thinking, man, I – NFL Films got some great sound from Parcells when he'd go back to the bench and just light somebody up. But he was missing the game when he was doing it. Although then I thought about it, I'm like, well, he lit a lot of guys up standing on the sideline. There's some pretty good sound with him going after Phil Sims. Right. So you've got a massive game in the AFC West, the Chiefs and the Chargers. The Chiefs are tied for the best record in the AFC, but the Chargers are only one game behind in the division race. It would be huge for them. And they have the Texans and the Raiders at the end of the year. They have got a great chance to win the division if they can beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs have won six in a row. You didn't believe in Kansas City earlier this year. They thought there was a Super Bowl hangover. Do you think they've escaped that and played their way out of it, or you really like the Chargers? Yes, they they have. Uh, The fact that they were able to add, uh, add guys like Ingram have really helped out their defense. Their defense has played at a high level. Um, they still have some uh, back-end concern issues with uh, their coverage, but the fact is this offense is still potent. They, they've turned it around. Most teams don't do that. Most teams aren't able to add high-impact players that come in and contribute the way that, that, that they were able to. But you know what? The thing about the Chargers, the Chargers have consistently, over the past couple of years, played the Chiefs very well. They beat them early this year um, in Kansas City. Now they get them in SoFi. I think it's going to be a, a, a a a highly competitive game Uh, for the Chargers' sake, you know, understanding the Chargers has been one of the biggest quadries that I've really ever come across. You know, in years past, they started off slow and finished strong. This year, it seems they started off strong and now they're finishing slow, kind of limping uh, along, but they're still in position. The cluster that's amongst the AFC teams allows the Chargers to still be in in it. I don't think they sweep the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be a highly competitive game tonight. You had the Raiders right from the start. It stunk, and it got worse. Are, yep. they, are they done? <laughs> I hope so. No, no actually, no, I can't say I hope so. We've got four games left. Um, I would like something positive to talk about, but in my estimation, guys, I, I really believe that you, you really have to start all over. I mean, it, it's to see how, how flat they came out against Kansas City, when you talk about what you have on the line, and we're hearing stories that, you know, the quarterback's going around getting guys pumped up and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking to myself as a pro, like, I never need to be pumped up. It, it, you're, you're, you're making millions of dollars to play a game, and you need somebody to come and get you into it. More importantly, it's been somewhat disastrous, the fact that, you know, the, the inconsistencies on both sides of the ball have resonated throughout the year. Now, granted, the Raiders have been through a lot. Losing your head coach, losing one of your star players, so on and so forth. But at the same point, there's a level of professionalism that has to be uh, has to be you know taken in consideration, and I have not seen that. 
four games left. They're still in it if they can win the four games. But after losing, what, five out of their last six games, I don't know if they can win four games. I don't even know if they can beat a truly depleted Cleveland team in Cleveland this week, uh, Saturday, because it, you know it's going to be nasty. The wind's going to be up. The spot, you know, rain. This team can't run the football, so I'm not really sure what we're going to see. I would like to give something uh, nice to report about. I just don't know if it's going to happen. We have seen several teams uh, turn their fortunes around. I mean, the season just keeps getting longer. Seventeen, ga- 17 games gives the teams that start hot a chance to fall apart and the teams that start slowly a chance to bounce back the bills got off to a great start and looked like they were right there side by side with the chiefs uh class of the afc the ravens started fast and have fallen off and they had injuries really from even before the season starting they were losing running backs it seemed like so i'm wondering if you think any of these teams that have kind of slumped here can turn it around or do you believe in any of the teams that are 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 coming on late here when you talk about teams that have kind of woke up and, and made a name for themselves, you talk about the Chiefs, mm-hmm. talk about somebody even like the New England Patriots, yep. speaking of the AFC. Um, there have been a few that have come on strong. That's, you know, the added game. It's a very long season. And once guys get film on other guys and they're able to break it down, they can see what their strengths and weaknesses are before they have a chance to play them. Um, there's still a lot to be said about a team like Arizona, you know, in the position they are. Uh, but, of course, you saw them last week, this past week, playing against the Rams, how much the Rams stepped up to, to face that challenge. So now Arizona's not taking anybody by surprise. Well, it, interesting to see how they finish the rest of the season. I say that to say this. It's great that football is competitive, and there is no sure, for sure, um, big names that are you know or, or elite, if you will. Everyone has a way of being brought down the level. We'll see again tonight the way the Chiefs play the Chargers, the way the Chargers played it, you know, it, it, uh, in chase in the possible division crown. So um, it, it really is fun to watch. I like competitive sports. Lincoln, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and we will talk to you again next week. Sounds good, guys. Be well. Lincoln Kennedy, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. While Lincoln was talking football there, Yach was busy working. Yach, what's the schedule going forward? All right, we're adjusting a little bit. Joe Ingles, 8 o'clock. Hans Olsen at 9 o'clock. I like that movie, While Lincoln Was Talking Football. It's right there with <laughs> While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> while Lincoln Was Talking Mm-hmm. It's a good good title. Yeah. The heck of a sequel. I hope they make it. All right. 20 minutes till Joe right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. The athletic director at the University of Utah, Mark Harlan. I'm curious what the difference in financial impact a Rose Bowl is as compared to like an Armed Forces Bowl. Here's what I know to be true. It's not extra millions flowing into the athletic department in that way, but it's broader a, a lift to the entire university. That makes it such a special thing. I mean, on January 1, there'll be more people focused in on the brand of Utah, you know, maybe outside of the Final Four years ago um, on that day. And it's hard to put a value number on that, but uh, we're just most excited about all the energy surrounding the University of Utah. I mean, I think, guys, when this thing is said and done, we may have 60,000-plus fans based on some of the data I was looking at. We're going to be unbelievable in our representation of the game, and that's just so exciting. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. 
Hot Takes with Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahairmd.com. So, how about the Jazz signing Danny Ainge as alternate governor and CEO? Brian says, good move, proven winner. Tua says, terrible move. Zanuck will be gone in a year. There it is, the audience, divided right out of the gate. I think Ainge made that clear that he does not want Zanuck's job. Uh, I don't know where Zanuck, Justin Zanuck, is going to be in a year. I assume he'd be here. But I don't know that Ainge wants that day-to-day thing. He stated it when he left Boston. He's done some. Few, he did a few interviews along the way. He stated the same thing that he said originally, and here we are saying the same thing. He said it like multiple times. So I believe that. I totally believe it. So what I would say the problem could be, and I don't know that it will be or it won't be. The problem could be: Does he make the big decisions and? Whoever's in the GM, in this case, is Justin Zanuck, but I think that this repeats itself across sports. But in this case, Justin Zanuck, or on another team, whoever the GM is, doesn't going. like the call and thinks, this isn't going to work. I'm going to end up having to wear this. I better go find another gig. Well, you said we had on yesterday Rondo Felberg. You know, mm-hmm. he was the athletic director. He wanted to be the athletic director, but BYU wasn't allow him to be the athletic director in the way that Chris Hill Excellent or example. was the right. athletic director. So he said, wait a second, I gave up a seven-figure gig to come be here. I want to be the athletic director. I can do this. And I believe he could have done it to the highest level I mean, because I, I think Rondo Felberg is as sharp as any guy I've ever met in my life. And so there was some conflict there about how much authority I'm going to have. So he said, screw it. Right. And that, I think, could be more. Because I think, and I thought Ainge really laid it out in the press conference when he said I was working 16 to 18 hour days and I want to do it. I'll work every day, but I don't want to work 16 hours. Unless it's like 45 holes. You, know, you might have a point there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many free agents you can sign during forty-five holes, or how many uh, trades you, you can have a swing. Lot of conversation. Yeah, if you get the right person out on the course, you uh, just have to golf them into submission before they give you give you just, their all-star. Just, you're just on the phone. <laughs> give you that all-star for that second-round draft pick. All right, nine more holes. Then I'm wearing you down. I know a guy who went. Uh, he worked for Larry Miller in the car business. Probably still does, but uh, he lived by me. Doesn't live by me anymore. And, you know, Larry, Larry was demanding, but he paid his people very, very well. This, this guy's making big money. So he goes to this, it's a, it's a local golf tournament thing. And uh, so Larry calls on the first hole. The guy doesn't hit a ball to like the 11th hole. <laughs> Just on the phone? Yeah. A little bit of talking and a lot of listening? When Larry calls, <laughs> you take it. So, you know, you can get stuff done that way. Uh, but Ainge is, I don't think Ainge has guile about what he's after here. I think that he has stated it repeatedly. Now, we all heard, we knew of the relationship. It's obvious. Uh, money loves money, as my mother used to say a million times over. That's why nobody loved us. Bada bing. So those folks who've got it, they run in those circles. So clearly he had a relationship with Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith loves his basketball, loves his golf. Well, so does Big DA, that's for sure. So 
that was obvious. And he moved out here. Danny's been out here. He came out here. Uh, I think all of his, well, most of his family anyway. I know Austin's still back there in Boston. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Austin makes his way out here. Uh, that would be something and I have no idea, but I would look for that and, and some maybe, maybe not. Uh, but Angel's got a life here, and now that Ryan Smith owns the team, and he said on the thing that uh, Saturday's owned it for a year. Uh, I think that was that's last Saturday. Yeah, yeah that's the problem. Wow, that goes, goes I know, fast. a year goes fast, yeah. yeah. And so he's t- he's taken over. Uh, and it was clear that Ainge was going to, at least to us, we had discussed it. I told my wife yesterday that school was off, so she was home. I said, oh, the Jazz have uh, officially uh, brought Ainge aboard as a CEO. He says, oh, she said, yeah, that's what you said. And so, yeah, we all knew about it, and that was likely to happen. So sure enough, it does happen. But, uh, you know, I have to think that Zanuck, I would think he'd be comfortable because I don't think Ainge is looking to – I got to be the man. I think it's a been there, done that thing for him. What more, what more does he have to prove? He was a very good player. He coached. He won the title. It seemed like, you know, if you get one title, then you're placed on another plateau. Yep. Uh, the Celtics uh, kind of going in place a little bit. The It's funny, the, the guy who stole Hayward from you, which seemed like the darkest hour, <laughs> yeah. seemed like it set the franchise back. It was on the come, and then Hayward goes and chases the stars that we all knew he was going to do. We set it, and we got in trouble for it, but we all knew it was going to happen. And that didn't really work, and now Ainge's with the organization that uh, is actually way better than Boston now. So it's funny how things turn out, but he's going to add something, as I said earlier, in the first uh, segment in the 7 o'clock hour, if you're going to hire your friends, hire a friend who's got 40 years of excellent experience in the business and knows a lot of people and can get done. Unless Ainge wants to come in and eventually take over and I've got to get credit and all this stuff, which I don't think that's what he's after right now. At 60, it'll be 63 in March, I think. Uh, might even be St. Patrick's Day. Look that up for me. Go ahead, look it up. I'm looking. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was born mid-March of 1959. So I don't think that he's coming in here looking to be the man so he can be an asset. You're totally wrong. March 17th of 1959. That's St. Patrick's Day. You missed mid-March by two days. I said St. Patrick's Day, didn't I? I don't know when St. Patrick's Day is. You're it's March 17th, right. you idiot. Yeah, there you go. What do you mean you don't know what it is? Just what I said. Do you know what know. Christmas is? December 25, baby. <laughs> Yeah, because you get something. That's why. Exactly. And you don't get nothing for St. Patrick's Agreed. Day. If I'd been in Chicago and watched him die the river, I'd probably have it down cold because that would crack you me up there. as a seven-year-old. No, we're in Denver. Same thing. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Denver, Chicago. It's not Come the same on. Thing. Big city, nope. Midwest. No. Nope. A little more Midwest. Nope. Not the same thing. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Ingalls joins us next. Stay with us. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This 
This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Joe Ingles joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Joe, good morning. Good morning. You know, Joe, there were a lot of things going on that I thought Joe's going to be in a great mood. And I got that road trip over. He had to, you were hilarious when you were talking about killing time and how much you were hating it on the road with a couple days off in a couple towns. But now you got three days at home with no games and you got to win. And I thought you were going to be a good mood, but you went out and you got a technical foul. Joe. Oh, I mean, it, 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 it might be the like the, not that I've ever tried to like get one back because I've, very well aware that I've made the most of a lot of them. Um, but I was like, actually, uh, obviously I said what I said, which didn't make the referee too happy, but I was actually just, I was just saying it like it wasn't directed at anyone or anyone in particular or the referee or anything like that. I was just like saying it cause it was like, I didn't think it was a foul, but yeah, the referee thought I was talking to him and, it real like at the point of the like at the time of, I'm not going to even bother arguing it because it was like what's the point because they don't rescind like he doesn't he doesn't give me a technical and then take it away if I if I go and plead my case to him so I was like screw it I'll just, <laughs> just uh, but it. I was actually just like emotionally talking to myself like it wasn't directed at anyone but it is what it is. Yeah, when I used to work for the Salt Lake Tribune way back when, they had a coach at the University of Utah, Rick Majerus. He took him to the Final Four, and one time he was and he was profane as can be, and he was screaming at one of his players during a game, and the referee walked between him and his player, and he hears all yeah. these profanities coming out of the coach's mouth, but they're not directed at the ref at all. Yeah. They're directed at his player, but the referee tees him up because <laughs> he hears these words that and weren't a, directed like, at him at all. It's an emotional game, and you get into it, and obviously we all, we're all trying to win. And so I was like, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna bother with this one. So yeah, you might as well. As I'm watching I'm you, in, I'm still in a good mood. Don't oh worry. yeah, all you're right. fine. You're fine. You're, you're usually in a good mood. It's rare that I think you're Renee, not. Renee might have been in the bathroom or something at the time, so she didn't actually see it. Oh, even better. So she doesn't know. Let's keep it a secret. <laughs> when I tell her that you got some money deducted again. <laughs> Until there's a big minus in my face. <laughs> well, well, let that slide, man. So you can. Well, I mean, the we truth is, you still got enough for Christmas. Radio, so. Yeah. He yeah, still got the radio Thanks. money. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That, that'll make up for it. That's right. Yeah, man. You, more, uh, more property in Park City you can buy. Ooh, let me know if we got something on the market. I'll take it. <laughs> and buy Locke's place, and then you can be his landlord. No. Oh, I'll be his landlord. I want to live near him. Lock him out. So I'm watching you play with Whiteside out there, and I'm wondering, compared to Gobert, when you've got the ball, what's your level of comfortability and familiarity with Whiteside as it is compared to what you know what you need to do with Gobert? Um, obviously not to the same level. Um, 
I mean, eight years is eight years. You can't, uh, you can't kind of put a price or time on that because we've, we've obviously not just the, the, I guess the time that we've played together, Rudy and I, but also the amount of actions we've, we've been in together and obviously those three or three or four years, whatever it was starting, um, it's a, a lot of time to be playing pick and roll and handoffs and, and doing all that. So, um, obviously it's not, not to that level, but I, I think I think it's been good. I think I think he's getting more comfortable in the system and um, how we play and what we want to do. And um, I mean, Coach said it the other day, or maybe a couple of weeks ago now, but um, just about the, the even our um, like our sub subbing patterns, like Hassan and myself come in at the seven or seven and a half or whatever it is, and. Hassan comes back out at the at the three or two or whatever it is. Um, he, I remember like the first time that ever happened. He was looking at coach like, "What what did I do?" Kind of thing is, did I do something wrong? Or and so I, I, like those things are just things that everybody has to get used to the the rotations and the system and what coach and same for Hassan for me like him getting used to the way I play and how I'm going to pass him the ball and, and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, it'll keep it'll keep getting better and better. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna play a fair bit of minutes kind of over this next however however long however many games we've got left. So we'll, we'll just keep keep figuring it out and, and keep getting better. It's uh, it's weird that Rudy Gobert is averaging so many rebounds in relatively speaking so few minutes. I mean, he's playing thirty one minutes a night, but I think of him as a guy who can play thirty six night after night. But you've had so many blowouts, I think his his minutes have gone down. And he's averaging almost a rebound every two minutes, which I think is a really high number. And then I looked at Hassan Whiteside; he's doing almost the same thing as a backup. When you're playing with those guys. Do you sometimes just assume they're going to gobble up every rebound? Does it kind of lower the urgency for you or your your teammates? Because these guys are grabbing so many. Is it easy just to assume they're going to get the next one? Well, I don't assume. I kind of know. Um, obviously, they're, they've both been, and even if you you look at Hassan's career, career prior to here, when he was playing those minutes and stuff in Miami as a starter and as that kind of main guy, um, they've both been unbelievable rebounders in their careers so um, it's not it's not surprising um, obviously the last few years for Hassan obviously not being a starter and coming off the bench with different teams or whatever um, for him it's like well now he's playing against a backup center he's not playing against yeah. a, a Rudy Gobert or a Miles Turner or the, the list goes on obviously um, so I think for for him and for our team, it's obviously a, a huge advantage to have him um, playing against those guys and being able to do what he does and what he's done in his, his career, but against, obviously, now backup guys. So, obviously, there's times that, I mean, even like last night, they had a, a clear emphasis on sending two or three guys to, to every rebound um, situation, especially defensively. Um to, to stop Rudy and Hassan getting those offensive rebounds. They had two or three guys there, which obviously um, opens it up for, for the guards to be able to kind of crash and get, get some kind of cheap, easy rebounds. So, um, yeah, we we kind of expect and know what they're going to do on the, the defensive boards and then offenses as well. So 
it, it definitely helps having you, you sub one out and <laughs> it's almost like a clone of the other one coming in and, and almost doing kind of the same thing. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a positive for our team. You guys were the second game on ESPN. The first game was Dallas and the Lakers. So I'm watching the pregame, and they've got on there some media guys, a guy named Stephen A. Smith, I assume you know him, and a couple other guys, and they're talking about how uh, they don't talk about the Jazz. And then Smith says, well, you know, I, I picked them to win. They let me down, so I'm not sure I believe in them. And then Marcus Morris last night says, yeah, they're still the same team. Ain't nothing changed. Gobert protects all of them. None of them can defend. Just funnel it to him, and it's tough. He's a great player, and he does a great job of anticipation, staying down, being solid, so you know who they are. And then we had Minnesota last week crack on you. Do you think that is that just sort of standard for a team that's been really good in the regular season, but has not gotten to the conference finals yet until... And Donovan said this in his post game. basically. He said, until we get there, these people are going to keep running their mouths on it. Is that something that's a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, obviously I've said it before, I literally could not care less what anyone thinks about our, our team or, or how we play or, or what, like... Marcus Morris can uh, say that, but it's like, well, why wouldn't we funnel everybody to Rudy. <laughs> Isn't that a smart game plan when you've got the three-time defensive player of the year? Like yes. Why would we try and ISO and play one-on-one, purely one-on-one, and just obviously we've got to stay in front of our guys and, and, and do different pieces, but like you funnel the players to the best player, best defender in the world. Like that's what... <laughs> that's, if you've got a guy that loves going left me for example why would you run plays going like it's just common sense like we're going to clearly funnel everybody to Rudy that's a a smart game plan obviously in in the playoffs is where the the manipulation of like where where, who Rudy guards and where they put him that's what they the the Clippers obviously trying to move him all over the place get him away from um, being able to protect the rim Um, but but yeah like, like Donovan said until we Obviously, it doesn't bother me or our team what people say. We we know we're building towards something. Um, we've been trying to build towards that. We have had setbacks along the way. I think that's normal in life. Uh, I think it was like there's probably been one, maybe that Golden State team that I think they lost in maybe the second or third round, and then they won it the next year. Yeah. Apart from that, it takes time for for teams to get to the to the level. Um, so yeah, we, obviously it doesn't bother us. We, we're going to keep doing what we do, keep playing the way we play. And um, again, obviously for for us, it's about us um, putting the the finishing touches on it in the playoffs and doing it in the playoffs and, and playing at a high level and that to to be able to push it further. There's something I've been wondering for a while, and Quinn started to address it in those in-game interviews, which I usually find useless, but I thought he hit on an important point. He was talking in the Clipper game. He said, and there was something about how to close this game out, because I think you're up by double figures at the time. He said, well, you know, we got to rebound, and we got to run the court and keep them out. We, well, we, not, not turn, we can't we gotta stop the turnovers, which I took as an implication. We can't let them score in transition. Have you guys been doing this long enough, and you play at high enough level, you shoot the ball so well, and your set court offense, you defend so well with Rudy. Do teams pretty much have to score on second chance points and in transition if most of these teams are going to beat you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a. I mean, you go into every game with a, a game plan and emphasis and and things like that. And 
Um, obviously, past years is, is kind of whatever, but, but this year we were horrible in transition defense for the start of the year or to, to this point so far. I think the road trip we just went on was the first time, um, even numbers-wise, from kind of what we, we get back in in film and meetings, um, was the first time we'd really kind of ran back and set a wall and 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 been able to defend in the half court. Like you said, obviously for us, we we know how good we are in the half court, and that's why you can manipulate the game with, with Euro fouls and and for us, obviously offensive rebounding as well, because it's a, a a form of transition defense. If we go and get it, it's almost like getting a stop because we've just got the ball again and, and obviously get to have another possession offensively, but. Uh, I think prior to the the road trip we went on, we were like 28th in tr- transition defense or something like that. So obviously, like us, other teams look at those numbers and they they say that, and it's like, all right, well, we don't want to play Rudy and Hassan in the back court in the half court. So um, every opportunity we get, make or miss, um, and some teams do it organically. It's kind of the way some teams play, um, how, how fast they get it in, and. New Orleans has always been one of those teams to, that comes to mind, but um, yeah, it's it's obviously it's, it's been a focus of ours to 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 get back and set set it and kind of pack the pain and and fan out from there. And, and obviously, we just we just have to keep doing it, um, keep focused, keep keep watching it to see where we are making those mistakes. Um, but but like I said, prior to the road trip, we were horrible. Um, and we did get better over that road trip, but obviously that's just three or four games, so we've just got to just got to keep building on it and keep keep working on it. Yeah, and you talk about that, and it's clearly it's been a difference, and you you guys are on a nice streak uh, as far as that goes. And you, I, I can't say you turned it around because it's not like you were in, in the bottom by any stretch, but you're 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 playing much better this time we around. Were at the bottom, we're just not that much higher. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys talk about that amongst yourselves? Well, obviously, we watch film and we get um, we get told it by right. By I know, but I mean, stuff. do the guys um, talk about it with each other? Not the coaches telling you. Yeah, I mean, we have there's there's times in the game and and you might get subbed out and you're like, holy shit, I just missed that one, <laughs> or I should have ran back, or um, we obviously for people that don't know, we all, we obviously we watch film at halftime as well. They coach will show us five or six clips and. Um, like there'll be one of someone not running back and say, like, all right, like whoever, Joe, Joe, you've got to like sprint back here and, and obviously help form the wall and, and get back. So we, we talk about that there's, there's plays. I mean, everyone has them. Like you have a possession and you know you're going to be on the film the next day. And it's like the mindset of not trying to be on the film the next day. So you do whatever you've got to do to, to not be on the film. But um, yeah, no, we, we obviously talk about it. It's more in the, not in a funny sense, but, but obviously kind of keeping a light and like, hey, Rudy, you got to you got to get back there, or Donovan, you've got to get back there, and um, yeah, just keeping keeping the focus on it because we obviously, again, we know how high level it is for uh, for, us, for us to do that. I was just explaining to my wife the concept of not being on the film the next day. You've had former teammates who've talked about it, and she asked something about Quinn during a game, and I told her that, and she was laughing. It's funny you bring that up right now. Don't be on the film the next day. You don't want to be on the film the next day. (laughs) Jacob, Jacob, can I have a kiss? Jacob's gone to school. Sorry. There you go. No worries. Um, Yeah, no, you don't want to be on the film the next day. That's like the 
like I said, but there's like legitimately times and possessions that you're like running down the court. And you're like, damn it, that's definitely going to be on the clips. <laughs> Have <laughs> or, you? We, I mean, we watch team film, but then we also watch individual. So, right. If you're lucky enough for it to not be on the team one, if it's not too bad, or if someone messed up even worse than you, then it's definitely on your individual one. So either way, you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Christmas is right around the corner. You got your shopping done, Joe? Well, I'm very lucky that Santa Claus slash Renee um, <laughs> organizes all the kids' stuff. Okay, but um, what are you getting for the little lady? Well, we had this agreement. Um, we purchased a house for ourselves as a bit of a holiday getaway, and um, so that was kind of our Christmas present to each other. But um, everyone knows that everyone likes actually opening something on Christmas Day. Right. right um, so, I'll, yeah, I've got a, a few little things for her, but it's going to be a, a very, obviously for us, it's it's about the kids and, and seeing their, especially five-year-olds, <laughs> five-year-olds are obsessed with uh, with Christmas and Santa and, and all those, the elf on the shelf thing that's the most annoying thing in the world. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, we'll, we'll have a good time. The, the, obviously, we, we play as well, so... You we'll do. figure out what the, the schedule looks like, but be obviously be able to spend the morning with them and, and do all that, and then, then obviously have to, to head off at some point for, for the game. So in the next few days, am I going to see Joe Ingles walking through City Creek Mall? <laughs> oh, no. I actually thought about that the other day. I was like, obviously online shopping in the world is a, a beautiful thing, but I was like, I, I really should just go and, and get something, and I was like, there's actually no chance in hell I'm going to. <laughs> I literally couldn't think of anything worse than walking through the not because it's Utah or sit like just any mall in the world. <laughs> not your thing. Well, no. I don't want to end on some happy Christmas thing, Joe, because PK handles the happiness and I do all the dirty stuff on this show. Matthew Delavadova, you're fo- you're a fellow Australian. He went to St. Mary's. Once upon a time he beat BYU, so there's plenty of people who still around here carry a grudge. And there's video because after his NBA he goes back to Australia. He gets dunked on, um, and to his credit, after I guess the turnover, he wanted to you know he wanted to defend, and and a guy I don't know maybe you do Mitch Creek dunks on him. It is a spectacular posterization, and it leads to a fight. And I'm just curious: is Delhi one of those scrappy guys who can annoy other basketball players on any continent at any level? Yeah, I mean he annoys he annoys us when he's <laughs> with the national team. Like he's just a he's like a little pest, even. Like I said, like five and five with the national team before Olympics, you're practicing. It's like that's just the way he plays. And I think in his career, there's I think it was I think it was Kyle Corver in the playoffs, or someone in the playoffs. He dove on a loose ball and took his legs out a little bit, and Kyle hurt his knee. Um, but it's like and obviously everyone goes automatically to the that he's dirty and he all those type of things. But it's like it's legitimately just the way like he plays and if you I mean if you've known Delhi growing up like he's from the country country in Melbourne like hours hours out of the city and um, not that I would never like to say that he's he's not as skilled like he's unbelievably skilled obviously but but he's always had like he went to St. Mary's he wasn't drafted he went to Cleveland undrafted and had to make the team and I mean, the stories in Cleveland is like he was picking up Kyrie full court every day at training camp because that's what he had to do to to make the team and obviously end up making the team and then they got LeBron back and all that happened. He won a championship. But that's just 
that's just how he's been his whole career. He, he plays the same way wherever he is, whether it be five and five with the Boomers or, or obviously now in Australia. Um, but he's he's one of those guys that's maximised every every opportunity and, and every ounce out of his his body and time to to get to the highest level and, and obviously stick for. I think he played about seven eight years. Like I said, won a championship. Um, he's a bronze medalist. He, he's he's done a lot in his his career from. Like I said, coming coming to obviously a smaller college and, and being undrafted and, and doing all those things. So he's yeah, he's a he's a hell of a teammate. Obviously, he's, he's a friend. Um, but happy for him to to be playing in Melbourne. He's in his hometown now and family and friends and gets to to see see all of them on on the, the daily basis. Do you know Ainge at all? Uh, no, I I mean I know him. <laughs> I know, I've heard his name obviously. Um, Never spoken to him until yesterday when he when he was here yesterday. Um, but obviously, I'll get to know him. Well, I'll get to know him this year. We'll figure out what happens after that if he likes me or not. But uh, <laughs> he better. <laughs> maybe, I got a radio show to do, Joe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe if he doesn't like me, I'll do one more episode just to riff on him for a couple <laughs> a couple minutes. But way to go. Um, no, I don't. I don't know him. Obviously, I've. I know he's kind of what he's done and where he's been, and obviously even where like the BYU connection and and all that. But um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll get to know him over this next few months, and hopefully he likes me enough to bring me back. If not, we'll uh, we'll have a special episode, and I'll rip apart everyone that didn't want me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that would be a fun episode. Well, nah, it doesn't come to that. <laughs> Vindictive Joe Ingles is the best Joe Ingles. <laughs> I'm right. I'm right. I'm going to start writing notes now. <laughs> All right. All right, Joe, we appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the holidays. Enjoy a string of six straight home games. You get a lot of time in there. Very nice. Yep. No boring road days. <laughs> right, exactly. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, there's Joe Ingles, his weekly visit. The Jazz win the first of those six home games in a row. Last of those six home games, Christmas night. We'll see how many more they can put away here. They got the Spurs coming in on Friday night. Tomorrow night, San Antonio will be here, and the Wizards Jeez, on Saturday. It's all eminently beatable teams. Really does look like it, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much now. I mean, they're not going to win every game. I get that, but at least in the conference, it's just like uh, when do we play Phoenix or the Warriors? Yes, I'm 100 <laughs> percent on board with you. And they're not going to beat every team who's not the Suns or the Warriors. But they should win a lot of those games. Oh, yeah, 90, 95%. The Grizzlies are now seven games over 500. So they're, they're decent. They're looking club, like a man. good team. They're, they're 9 1 in their last game. Especially 10. if you get them over there. Right. The Clippers and Lakers are next. They're three games over 500 at 16 and 13. You, just, you, you may be a better team in the last 30 games of the year, but here in these first 30, you're not special. And, and it could be a question of health. I mean, obviously, the Clippers were very shorthanded last night, and obviously LeBron's been in and out of the lineup for the Lakers. Well, I think the Jazz are better than them. I think Mitchell is all league. I think we're seeing him, and we, we've said this for years, but we're seeing it again. He's blossoming at another freaking level. So in the East, is there anybody put on their tier? Nets, Bucks, Bulls? They've already seen the Bucks and well, Bulls who's once. who's available? Yeah. Who's playing that night? Yeah. PK, I just saw a tweet that might sum up your persona perfectly. Bleep you? <laughs> In that vein, <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> what? Are we sharing it or are you getting to that next? We can get to it next. Why not? All right, we'll do that next. Uh, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. The athletic director at the University of Utah, Mark Harling. I'm curious what the difference in financial impact a Rose Bowl is as compared to like an Armed Forces Bowl. Here's what I know to be true. It's not extra millions flowing into the athletic department in that way, but it's broader a, a lift to the entire university. That makes it such a special thing. I mean, on January 1, there'll be more people focused in on the brand of Utah, you know, maybe outside of the Final Four years ago um, on that day. And it's hard to put a value number on that, but uh, we're just most excited about all the energy surrounding the University of Utah. I mean, I think, guys, when this thing is said and done, we may have 60,000-plus fans based on some of the data I was looking at. We're going to be unbelievable in our representation of the game, and that's just so exciting. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Prepping for the holidays, your res can help clean up before and after the festivities. Keeping your carpets clean well into 2022. Give Zero Res a jingle by calling 801-288-9376 or booking online at zeroresaltlake.com. Or if you're up north, it's zeroresdavisweaver.com. All right, you got a perfect tweet, Yak. It sums up PK. All right, this comes from the illustrious Kevin Durant, who obviously is no stranger to his own Twitter beefs out there. His tweet this morning, quote, Knew I needed love, but I think I value the hate more, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Whatever drives you, man. Some people feed off of that. I don't as much anymore. You're mellowing out in your old age? Well, if I haven't proven it by now, am I proving it? But at the same time, I think to keep your edge, you take nothing for granted. And your true to whatever it is you're in. So, you know, I know what I need to do to stay on top of my job, right? Talk to people, uh, watch, Watch read. Watch every jazz game. Yeah, yes. So I don't take any of that for granted. And I, I have to admit, it's not like I feel like I have to come in today and prove myself or I'll be fired my my line, and I think everybody can relate to this, at whatever business, whatever line of work you're in, to whether you want to move up or you've already been established, I, I think it's life lessons. You know, if you want to move up, whatever job you're in, bust it. It's not your career goal. At, at 25 years old, I'm in the newspaper business. I, whatever assignments I had, that wasn't, oh, I've arrived and that's what I want to do for the next 30 years. But I've seen some people who, oh, I want to do so, up here, but I don't really like what I'm doing down here, so I'm going to give a, a half-belief ever down here. Yeah, and that, usually, that doesn't usually drive me yeah. nuts. It doesn't usually work. And when it does work for someone, it drives me nuts. I've talked about, well, yeah, that's probably because you have a father in a business or something. Um I talked about a friend of mine who works for ESPN now. He's on television, and he was a youngster going to SC, working late nights, getting his butt up, and his job at the Daily Breeze was to take prep calls, right? And we had like four or five guys, and the phones would ring on nights that he wasn't there. The phones would ring, and the other guys who were there, and they were rotating, weren't always the same guys because they were part-time guys and trying to break into business. And the other guys, some of the nights, they'd look at each other like, 
you know, the phone ringing? I don't hear no phone ringing. <laughs> <laughs> There's five guys and two phones. Yeah. Hey, three of us don't have to take a call. I better yeah, be one like, of the three. Dude, that's your job to answer. We're paying you. You're a part-timer. You're 20 years old. You're going to college. You're trying to break in. Answer the phone. Answer the friggin' and phone. Take the high school score yeah, and the yeah. high school stats and whatever three sentences they give you for what right. you, we used to refer to as the agate page. Exactly. And we'd put them on there. And it's not a glamour gig, but that's your job in the moment. So kick butt. And my friend, who now uh, wor- he worked, he was Washington Post sports columnist for a number of years. The phone would ring, and it would be one third of a ring, and he'd pick it up. Daily Breeze Sports. And he was a New York guy who found his way to California. Now he's back east in Washington, and so he was loud and aggressive. But no wonder worked. you bonded. Yeah, yeah, we did. That's another thing. I didn't know that about him. I, oh, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have known his hometown. Yeah. I couldn't have picked his home state. I'd had a one in 50 shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so he worked his butt off, and I saw it. I saw it as a 20-year-old. And he happens to be African-American, and he got the Dodger beat, and there were some people... He got it at a fairly young age, and there were some people who claimed... And he got it for the LA Times. I not see where this is going. <laughs> he, yeah, he got it because of his skin color. And he called me up, and he was hurt by it. And I told him, I said, I don't know, that maybe didn't hurt you. I don't know if it helped you. But what I know is you busted your butt at 20 years of age, and you put yourself in the position. This was not gifted to you, my friend. This was because you earned it. Because you worked hard as a 20-year-old, and you knew that the way to get ahead is to really, really bust it, right? And he did. And I, I was proud of him, man, to see him develop. And now he's a big shot. He's on TV, blah, blah, blah. Well, he worked his butt off at a menial job. And then, so, I that was my attitude. Because my father was a freaking janitor, man. He was a, I saw him on the back of a garbage truck when I was growing up. Because he was a garbage man. And he stood on the back when you had to jump off and take it. Now it's all, you know, they scoop it up and dump it over. Well, they didn't back then. I'm sure you saw it back then, right? 100%. I know yeah, exactly yeah, the yeah. job. It wasn't automated at all. Right. There were two guys, and it's and unbelievable. They, they, and they this, stood on the thing. And there was a metal bar they, that came off, a yeah, handle. Yeah. And they held on to right, it. Right, right. And in retrospect... How was that okay? <laughs> the same reason we drove in station wagons without seatbelts. Right. And the same reason my, that my mom, who was pretty yeah. safety conscious, let me get in what we called the box. Behind the back seat, there was a little not so much trunk area. It was smaller than that in no, a no, BW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I mean, maybe, and I wasn't buckled. What? We didn't know any better. Okay, right? but we had to have known that cars get rear-ended. So if you're standing on the back of the truck, you're in a bad spot. And people lose their footing or lose their grasp and fall on the road. There's like multiple things that could have gone wrong easily. But that was just the norm. You're right. I saw, yeah, every time that, every week when the trash truck came through the neighborhood, yeah. there was at least one, but probably two guys in the back of the truck. Usually on both sides, exactly. Right. Yeah. But I remember him telling me, whatever job you got, just bust it. Just do the very best. If you want to move up, and it stuck with me. And so I moved up, and now you know I've, I've established myself. But now you're at the point where you don't take it for granted. This job is so sweet that the last thing I'd want to do is is 
uh, lose it. And yesterday, you know, I could have done the job potentially from remote with the storm. And you asked, oh, I'm surprised to see you in here. Well, one of the reasons why I like to come in here, because it's just so freaking fun going back and forth with you guys. And if I'm by myself at home, like I was for 15 months, it wasn't near as fun. Hmm. I understood the circumstances and that I had to do it. And it was the right thing to do because you told me we don't need two guys being out with contact tracing. So we don't. The only time we were together is when we we're on a golf course. Uh, during that 15 months, and we're outside and taking and care of it that way. And you're driving the ball 40 yards past me. Right, we're doing all that <laughs> stuff, yeah. And so I knew I wanted to be back because it's just the job is so much fun. So don't take it for granted. Go to work every day. And if Durant's obviously way younger than me, but if that drives him, great. And and I can relate it to the Jazz now because they're starting to get some heat. Normally, they never got any heat. Because they did things the right way, and they were respected. You know, I always said Kyle Whittingham is always showered with love because, oh, they're such an overachieving program. Well, no, they're not an overachieving program. They're actually achieving what they're supposed to achieve because we see it. But he, he's a hard-nosed guy, lunch-pale dude. Well, the Jazz now, they're starting to get criticism because they had the last, best record last year and flamed out in the second round. And it's interesting to hear. I'm watching the pregame show with Smith, Stephen Smith, last night, and he's going to town on him. I don't believe in him. I don't believe in him. And then this, the Wolves last week, and now uh, Morris last night saying, well, they're still the same guys, meaning we beat them. So what did they beat us on December 15th? We beat them last year with the implication being we get to the playoffs, we're going to beat them again. So what are you going to do about it, guys? What are you going to do about it, man? You can't do much of anything until you get to the playoffs because you've already done all the regular season stuff. And it's important to do the regular season stuff when you haven't done it before. But I think the mindset is now, not then, now. Yes. And right now, there isn't much they can do because if they win five more games, Stephen A. Smith is going to be right back out there. I'm not biting on the regular season success. They're not built for the playoffs. I'm not going to be wrong about this again. See, I think there is nothing they can do now. Well, Store it. Yes, you're right. They can do that. And Quinn would tell them, keep a note of it. You get better every night because we're not a perfect we're very good, but we're not a perfect basketball team. So let's Only fix. the Lakers of the 80s, Jake Scott, were perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, you find that list. That's why they do the video and you don't Joe Magic just told was us perfect. you don't you don't want to be on the video. It was perfect. And that's what they're doing. Those little things. Cuz right now, most nights, and I just read you in the break cuz you were saying, "Oh, looks like Jazz are Going to be favored in all these games. Yeah, they're going to be favored in every game the rest of December. They may not win them all. Somebody may have a great night and the Jazz may have a bad night. But that's why Quinn is saying do things the right way. Not just the right way. Not just a good way. Do it the best way. And repeat it, repeat it, so it's just automatic. The same way it was for your friend. Phone rings, pick it up. It's automatic. I don't have any problem with people motivating and motivating is not just that it's more like concentrating focusing on the idea of hey there's all sorts of doubters because i had all sorts of doubters i mean i was told you weren't good enough hell i got the job here at the tribune and two months later boss told me to look for another job it's not working took me in two months I just moved all the way up here. I'm not from Utah. I mean, I changed my entire life. And two months later, two months later, it's not working. <laughs> I kind of got the last laugh there uh, far, as far as it working. I thought it worked pretty well. But so I don't have any problem using 
negative as motivation. And if it works for Durant, because Durant has achieved everything that he needs to achieve individually, but he wants to achieve more. Mm, I don't think he does. Uh, I think he thinks he didn't get credit for the two titles he won at Golden State. And I think that was part of what was driving it. The Olympics, he played at a very high level in the Olympics. Well, he won the Olympics for us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that they went without him. And he was he was really I, I good. I think Durant is going to waltz into the Hall of Fame. Every possible honor. That's a given. He's I'm achieved. with you on that. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, That's already decided. And, but if this is what he feels he needs to do, I'm all for it. The haters. There's always going to be somebody out there who's going to hate you. I mean, you may have to look far and wide. But there's going to be somebody who's going to doubt you. I mean, those guys, they have to almost manufacture it. The rest of us only have to get out of bed. As we sit here on December 16th, the MVP voting, which is still months away, but the MVP voting, aren't Curry and Durant going to finish 1-2? Whichever order, I don't know. But aren't they going to be 1-2? I'm not sure about that, man. I think you got to go Chris Paul's way, too. I think you've got to reward winning in this league. You know, I'm okay with Otani winning it in baseball, but I wouldn't be okay with Otani winning it in basketball. Because... Does Antetokounmpo have a shot to get another one? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of time. So when you say that Donovan Mitchell is All-NBA, are you talking All-NBA any team or All-NBA first team? Well, I think right now he's first team. Because those four guys, are any of them going to miss the first team? Because I wasn't putting, i got to admit, I, wasn't, I was not thinking Chris Paul first or second in the MVP voting, but I could easily see him All-NBA first team. If he rolls out another 70, 75 games, and, and if they, and they end up wins, with the best record. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, what's yeah. the difference there? It's him. He, and, he, and he does it in a manner, you can look at a box score and see it, but Chris Paul's contributions go way beyond a box score. I agree, but I also think that won't help him win the MVP. I agree. I think Curry and Durant, the way they score. I understand that. And and the fact that their teams are winning. You, that's what I'm saying. You have that's to That's why win. they're going to be one too. That's what I'm saying. Otani in baseball, you want to give him the MVP, fine. Sure. Remarkable. There's a little wiggle room in football, too. But oh. not in basketball. Because you could put up a whole bunch of empty, meaningless stats. To me, basketball, you must reward winning because there's so much involved. Like Westbrook. Reeves gets the credit for the phenomenal shot. Good on him. But Westbrook not taking the shot and driving, collapsing the defense, somebody's got to be open. Once he hesitated and then makes a move towards the key, somebody's got to be open somewhere. It just has to be, right? Because they're not going to allow him just to waltz to the basket. And and, and if it, they do, you win the game. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so does I don't know that he gets the credit. I was thoroughly impressed with Wes, Westbrook not jacking up a three and being hero ball. And to me, that is that that individual play for the Lakers was very significant because you've got LeBron who's got the ball. He draws a little bit of a double team. He passes it. He doesn't look to hero it. Westbrook had the shot. If he takes the shot, you can see why he takes the shot. Because he was wide open, plus he allows the uh, time for an offensive rebound. And it wasn't at a, literally at the buzzer. I mean, Reeves takes the shot, with, uh, and they end up with less than one second. And he has to shoot. 
which is always, to me, the most dangerous situation for any shooter. If I'm on defense, when a player has to shoot, there's no question that always alarms me because I think his percentages go up because he has no choice. There's zero things to think about. And he got squared up. He let it fly. Boom. It's gone. So for the Jazz, yeah, this whole season... I would build some animosity, but that's my way. That's the way I work. You doubted me. I'm going to show you. Well, how are you any different than Rudy Gobert? And for that matter, Joe Ingles likes a little animosity. He doesn't shy from it. So that's two guys right there. Okay, fine, great. I I would build it up because now nobody doubts you as a really good team. But everybody doubts you as a title contender, a legitimate. You have not got past the second round, guys. Come on. The second round in the NBA, no heroes are made out of teams that win one playoff series and then get dismissed in the second round. So you guys got to sack it up and get this thing done or you're going to be exposed as a fraud. That's the reality of the situation facing the Jazz. And there's no other way to look at it. And I appreciate Mitchell acknowledging it. Because in order to overcome it, you've got to acknowledge it first. And he has. And I would get fired up. You don't have to run around and make outrageous statements. But I would burn with desire to show everybody come May and June. DJ and PK, when we come back, college football recruiting, signing day, in the books, takeaways for the Utes, the Cougars, and the Aggies. Next, Riley Jensen joins us at the top of the hour. Hans Olsen. Hans Olsen joins us at the top of the hour. I was say, like, hold on, did I just like time I warp back to Wednesday? Uh, no, I know. Hans Olsen joins us at the top of the hour <laughs> to talk more college football recruiting, and he'll be on the national broadcast of BYU's bowl game. And we'll talk with Hans coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. With a blowout victory over San Diego State, Blake Anderson and the Aggies have brought an improbable Mountain West Conference Championship to Logan. Logan. Now the Aggies prepare for a showdown against Oregon State in the first ever LA Bowl in SoFi Stadium. Your home for the best coverage of Aggie football. Aggie football. As well as all the play-by-play action is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time to talk a little college football recruiting. Signing day in the books, although it's hardly a done deal. It's all brought to you by Davis Vision. Fifth annual Black Friday sale has been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Yeah, well, we're going to talk recruiting. Go ahead. I was going to say, before we get to the individual schools and players that have or have not caught your eye or have or have not intrigued you or things you've heard about a specific player, one thing we have talked about is the local schools being able to keep talent in state. This year, eight players leaving the state for Power 5 schools. Including Harrison Taggart. Now... And Devin Brown. I was going to say, yes, two Corner Canyon Chargers. And Brown, I'm counting him as an in-state kid when I say eight, but he grew up in Arizona. He came here for one year. I don't know if they really lost an in-state guy. Not sure that's the point we're trying to make here. So maybe it's seven, not eight. But this morning at 11 o'clock, they're going to honor all the four guys from 
Corner Canyon who signed with D1 programs, two of which are going to BYU. <laughs> so with that in mind, I guess we got to go to break. <laughs> Do we have to go right now? Do I have a minute? Or no? Okay. So, does it bug you that Oregon took two guys? Washington State, UCLA, Oregon State, and Arizona took one. Baylor took one also. And five, there are five more players who went to Mountain West schools. Yeah, it always bugs me. Okay, but if there's almost 50 guys getting scholarships, they're not all staying in state. I know. But you asked me, does it bug me? Yeah. There's not a... good enough. The fence no, is no, not no, up no, around no, no, that. No, that's not, it is good enough. Two different things. Two different things here. I think that uh, I would if if they want to me. There's if BYU or Utah isn't recruiting you, then you got Utah State. Now I don't know that they recruited any of those guys, and I don't know who those guys are, and I don't criticize them for going out of state. But this has always been a pet peeve of mine. ASU yesterday signed zero guys from Arizona. Oh, <laughs> so this is a different deal. BYU and Arizona, uh, BYU and Utah State are in double digits. The Utes signed great, four local guys, and they did a great job. Great job. And if the Utes are winning the Pac-12, Kyle's got to get talent. I mean, it can't be just a Utah high school all-star it. team. I got it. He's got to bring in talent from wherever. Yeah, I got it. All but, right, but my point I make mm-hmm. is that the in-state schools have everything you need. Now, if you want to go outside, bless you. Good luck to you. I've got no problem with it. But my, it's not about that. The point is that the in-state programs have everything you need. That's the point I'm making. Whether you take advantage of it or not, that's up to you. And I don't really care whether you do or you don't. But the point is, this state has great coaching, great facilities, great fan bases. Get, you can get to the NFL. Three 10-win teams. Yeah. you got. Right. That's the point I'm making. You got everything you need right here. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz Game where there are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Time to bring in Hans Olsen. I thought it was Riley Jensen. No. I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> Hans joins us now. You're from noon to three with Scotty G. This time of year, he roams the globe, broadcasting college football games on the radio. The network broadcasts. Hans, are you still in Utah? Or are you off to Shreveport or other places? Tomorrow morning, off to Shreveport. Can't wait. It's going to be a fun one. I, I mean, I don't think the game's going to be very close, but I'm excited to get out there. I, I do love calling these games. It's. It's fun, and I've had a chance to call BYU on on the national broadcast a couple of times. So it's it's always exciting. It gives me a chance to to send a more broad voice out there for BYU and Kalani, and and it also gives me a chance to call these games. I do. I love calling it. It's just it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than I would have thought to be a, a good color analyst. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I thought it would be cool to get you on before you go to let folks know that you're doing them. And I know you've done them in the past and you'll do them in the future, but you're right. The reason why I thought you'd be an expert to have on is because you we, we already know BYU. We do deep dives on them a thousand times over. But you, in order to be prepared and keep your job and sound uh, the way you want to, you have to do deep dives on the opponents, which means you've got to know UAB inside and out. 
Yeah. And, and I'm sure you've, you've already, that's an ongoing process here that, you know, and it takes countless hours to get to that point. So when you have done your studies of these guys, what are you thinking? I'm thinking the BYU should beat them pretty soundly. Uh, I, I think that they pose a couple of problems. They've got a pretty decent pass rush. They can get some one-on-one rush. So I, I don't know if we're going to see Barrington out on the outside. I don't know if it's going to be Kime. I, I, my guess is Kime will probably start. I don't know if you've heard anything on that, PK, but those outside guys, both Freeland and Kime or Barrington on the tackle positions are going to be key in this game for BYU to get the, the, the size victory that I know that they want to get because there is some really good one-on-one pass rushing that goes on. The other thing that they've got, they've actually got the nation's leader in yards per catch. Yeah, the Shropshire, tight end. Uh, no, uh, Shropshire is a wide out. The tight end is the second leading receiver on that team, and he, he's good. He's really good. Uh, but they've got this wide out that just runs deep, PK, and he just he gets over the top. I, I don't know how he does it. And, and it's not that he's got thousands of yards. He's he's like 680 yards on right, the year. Right. But it's over 27 yards per catch. And if he typically, if he's catching a ball, he's going for a touchdown. So BYU is going to have to be prepared and just make sure that they stay over the top on that. That tight end that you talked about, PK. Yeah, I think he's last, averaging like, like 20 yards of reception, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's up there as well. Uh, 20, yeah, he's like 22, 24. And uh, he, he's really come on in like the last four games. Is 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 where he's really come from, and he's he's become a big time deep threat as well. He, this quarterback, he's not much different than Logan Bonner. He's uh, maybe slightly more athletic, but he has the same type mindset as Logan Bonner. Um, he's got his release is just a little bit slower. He, he's not quite as snappy. Logan Bonner gets the ball out of his hands pretty quick. This guy will delay just a just a touch so BYU should have an opportunity to try to get that rush on him he he doesn't look to run but he can he will run but he just doesn't look to run they they run some zone read look option attack but he really likes to give he doesn't like to keep typically when he does keep defenses aren't ready for it so he does get some yards so you got to keep an eye on him but when I look at the talent that BYU is about to face and and by the way, I spent most of my time watching the Alabama Birmingham UTSA game. But when I watch the talent, it, it really shows to me that BYU should have a, a very solid, dominant win over Alabama Birmingham. Okay, solid I can buy off on blowout. I have a little problem visualizing just because BYU didn't really blow people out this year. They won comfortably. Uh, A-Rod has certainly opened it up more than he did in his days at Utah, but there's still some of that logic to his, uh, the way he thinks about football. You know, when you get up by two scores, you're not trying to win by four scores. You're shortening that game and getting out of dodge. Yeah. And so I, I can see comfortable. I mean, Utah State, I never thought they were going to lose the Utah State game, but they only won by 14. It's not yeah. like they were out there blowing people out by 30. But having said that, you know, I can hear A-Rod now, and we don't have to win by 30. We were up by two or three scores, and we got to the end of the game and got out of there. So, DJ, I guess the way I would define a blowout for BYU and what I'm expecting mm-hmm. is control the clock. Yeah. Algier running. Um, Algier needs to get to like 114 or 115 yards to become 
the sixth all-time on uh, on career rushing for BYU. I think it's 114 yards in this game. And I, my guess is he gets somewhere around that 115 mark. He controls the ball. I, that's how I want it to be, at least. I, I want them to kind of show some strength and dominance. So they'll control. They'll always have a, a kind of a lead. And I'm saying a 17-point-plus win type type of game um, where Algier really controls. You know, to your point, DJ, I, I do think that Aaron Roderick, he, he loves to be fancy, and he likes to – put on a show for the fans. Uh, yeah, I want, I hope people out there understand that Aaron Roderick, he, he comes from that mindset of, Hey, let, let's be entertaining. Let's have some fun, but let's be productive, but let's put on a show for the people. He, he knows how much BYU fans love what Lavelle did. And, and, you know, you see all the people that Lavelle brought to the yard when his offenses were high flying. I, I do think that Aaron Roderick has this desire to, to build that type of an offense that's fun to watch. So he's going to want to put it in the air. He's going to want to have some big scores. But I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't get too far away from the dominance of the ground game, letting Algier go get 115, have a 36, 37-minute time of possession, control the game. And, and my consideration of 17 points in a game controlled would be a blowout. For comparison's sake, to get a better feel of the talent level of UAB, if they were to play BYU's schedule that they had this past season as far as the what the seven uh, Power Fives and then the uh, put uh, Utah State Boise in there, so I've got nine games basically, does UAB beat, does UAB beat any of those nine teams? Oh, um, yeah, they, they, they probably, you know... <sighs> My guess maybe is Arizona, a, yeah, a, sure. a five and four or a four and five situation. Um, the, the the game I spent the most time with was that UTSA game, and, and I don't know if you guys remember watching that just a couple weeks ago. Uh, UTSA, uh, Alabama, Birmingham had a, a like a six or five point lead. Yeah, right, like right at the end. Six yeah. seconds left, and UTSA fumbled a snap, and the quarterback. Right, scooped it off the ground and just kind of lobbed it yeah. over the top to that tight end that you were talking about, PK. And he caught it, and they, they won. So they were really close with an undefeated Texas-San Antonio team at that point. Other than that, you got that Georgia game. Georgia just destroyed them. So my only sample size is they stayed okay close with UTSA, blown out by Georgia. Every other team they've played I think has been pretty mediocre to less than mediocre. My guess is it would have been like a, a five and four or four and five. I will tell you though, and I don't know how much you guys know about this head coach, at Alabama Birmingham. This Alabama Birmingham team, they are the winningest team in Conference USA since 2017. This coach came in and took over in 2014, and he took over like a two win team. And since 2017, He's gotten Alabama, Birmingham rolling. They're actually a more winning team than Texas San Antonio uh, since 2017. And, you know, he got a, a National Coach of the Year uh, awards in 2018. So he's a good mind. And when I watch his teams, like, uh, for, like for instance, I watched um, Middle Tennessee State, and I'm just embarrassed for, for the staff and the sloppiness. I mean, down to the basic techniques and the schemes, it's horrifying. I watch Alabama Birmingham, and I'm like, all right, that's a that's a 
a program that I would put my son in. That's a program that I would want to play in. That's a, it's a very sound program. Um, they, they do make some sloppy mistakes at times, but the scheme is sound. And when they're, when they're obedient to their techniques, it's sound. I can tell that they're well coached. So with UAB, well, I guess this actually has to start with BYU. How healthy will BYU be on, on both the offensive and defensive line? And do you think that they're going to wear UAB down on either side of the ball or both sides of the ball and really be controlling that game in the second half? Just on the offensive side of the ball. I do, I do worry a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's, been, it's been crazy watching them go through guys like Wilgar and watching them go through guys like Chaz Ayu. And, you know, we've seen some of their best players, Keenan and others, go down in this season. It's been so frustrating. So my guess is they come in. Um, I, I, I expect a couple of guys to be out there. I expect Mahe or Mariner. I'm, I'm hoping – to see guys like Summers, and, and I know that he's been dealing with injury all year, but I don't have as much expectation. I, and I know that Alabama-Birmingham is better on the defensive side of the ball. They're the 11th best defense in the country as, as far as yardage is concerned. They're, they're good. Uh, and That's in the run game. Um, they're 11th best. I think they're 17th overall. But but I think that this is a different style offense that they're going to face, and it's a different style front that they're going to face. And when I watch what BYU did, I, I do I do expect that offensive front to be healthy. I watched what Utah did, sorry, BYU did to Utah's defensive front, and I just don't see Alabama-Birmingham really being able to hang in there. I, I would imagine that their defensive scheme is going to try to throw a lot at the gaps and uh, which they didn't do against Texas San Antonio. They rushed three, probably 30%, rushed four, maybe another 30%, 40%, and then brought some blitzes and some different schemes. But I expect BYU on the offensive side to really be able to grind them and wear them down. And then on the defensive side, I just don't think Alabama-Birmingham is inept enough to to really push around a defense that, that might bend a little bit. Want to hit you up about Urban Meyer. You know about him. You know his coaching style. You played at college. Now you played for somebody who might have been the polar opposite of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Urban Meyer. So I don't know that you can speak to that at college and how would how you would have worked. But obviously you played in the pros. And what did you think would happen with Urban? And are you surprised about what did happen? I'm not surprised. I am surprised that it went this fast. And I, I haven't had a chance to listen to you guys. I, I wasn't sure if, if you felt the same. I was surprised that it was 13 games. Sure. I, I wasn't surprised that he was fired from the NFL. I, I think some of the some of the personal stuff that got out with him grinding on some girl and all the, the nastiness of that. And, you know, he tries to hold his team, at least the guys that I talked to that he's coached, he always tries to hold them to a high standard and all these expectations. And when when something like that comes out, you're looked at as a liar. And and players lose respect for you. They, they really do. I mean, people out there might be laughing about that, but if you got a coach that's preaching toughness and preaching off, off-field behavior and he goes out and acts like a wimp or he goes out and gets a, a DUI and is found with some girl that isn't his wife, 
it, it really does take the edge off of that coach. It, you know that I, I don't I don't want to listen to you anymore. I, I, if you're going to sit there and preach to me, but you're not you're not going to follow your own advice. How am I supposed to look at you? Um, I, I think that he probably lost a lot of respect from his guys. I I also know that at that level, you know, when you're dealing with guys like Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne and Edron James, and Marvin Harrison, and Jeff Saturday. There's only so much you can do in intimidation. And I know that in the past, Urban has coached with intimidation. Intimidation doesn't work at that level. I played my, my rookie year when I came out with the Colts. Ellis Johnson was the veteran defensive lineman. And he used to use the term grown-ass man all the time. And he would say it to everybody just to let them know, look, I'm not a kid. I'm not a college kid. This isn't just a game. This is my business. It's a job to me. I am the CEO of it. And and it's just a different feel. It's not, it's not like anything I can really put into words. It's just guys run their business different. And I didn't, I, I really didn't feel like Urban Meyer's intimidation and his tactics at the college level from the guys that I talked to when he coached at University of Utah, I just didn't feel like it was going to work at the NFL level. Yeah, my mother used that term with me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you snap into shape? Oh, yeah, yeah, from like eight years old. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, of all the mistakes Urban made and the yelling at assistant coaches, the kicking the kicker, the uh, punning the punter, so, right? The salacious, <laughs> salacious details. Married guy, younger woman, all that. The thing I heard on uh, I don't know whatever roundtable we'll call it football show was that made me convinced midway through this year that he was doomed and it was just the date. Was I heard ex players go off on him because he stayed behind in Ohio? Now that's where the stuff you know all comes out about, you know, the, the other woman and all that stuff. But what they were upset about was every coach they'd ever had got on that plane and suffered in silence because a plane, a long plane flight after a loss and, and the players are hurting and the assistant coaches are going right back to start breaking down film and grind for the next game. The fact he wasn't on that plane, loads of credibility right out the window. Not getting on the plane was a very big deal to those ex-players. Yeah, yeah, it's that's all part of that standard I was talking about. You preach one thing and then you do another thing. You lose the room. You can't do that. Now, if you've got your star quarterback or a, a center or even some scrub like I was that's not on that plane, and you think the head coach is going to be okay with that? No, it's you know, unless there's something really set in stone. But for the most part, you're on that team plane and. I could see how that would really rub players the wrong way, especially with what came out the following week of where and what he was doing. But, yeah, just the fact that he's not with the team was, was, I think, against the grain enough to really lose a lot of that team. With what went on with the announcement with Kalani and more about Tom talking about the money into the program. Yeah. Can, and then going in the Big 12, is it fair to say this is a new era, new day for BYU football? I think so. I, I do. I really think it is. I think that they're building. Um, I have zero inclination of dollar amounts. Those numbers are really private. You can't get to them. Um, 
I, I have talked to some of the, the old staff that left for Virginia, and, and I was able to put together some idea of some numbers. But my guess is that this number, whatever BYU extended to Kalani, it's got to be somewhere around two and a half, three times what he was making, would, would be my guess with the um, unprecedented number and him signing and all the things that we've kind of seen unfold. I feel like they put a number in front of him that was as flashy, if not more flashy, than maybe even what he had expected, maybe, possibly. Um, I don't know if, if if it was more than he'd hoped, but um, the way Tom Homo was talking in that press conference and the way Kalani was talking in that press conference makes me believe that that number was significantly more than than what it was. So in, in that alone, PK, I think that's a change that you and I and DJ and, and Jake back there haven't seen. Um, we were all aware when we were playing for Lavelle that he was grossly underpaid. We all knew it. Um, but he was so well-beloved and, and so well taken care of, we, we all felt like he was a rock star. But we also knew that he could certainly be paid more. Same with our position coaches. But this, to me, it feels like it was a, a groundbreaking move and contract that opens up the door for even possibly even more growth when it when it comes to paying staffs and, and keeping staffs around it. Because I can't express the importance of Kalani keeping on this path of winning now that they've extended this contract. I, I don't want them to have a, a down year of two or three wins and then everybody like shrivel up and, oh, no, now we're on the hook. Oh, boy, we, we made a bad decision. I think it's important that he returns that faith to them and, and they, in their mind, think, okay, well, we'll pay him more and we'll pay him more. Because, you know, if he does what he's doing in two years, there's another one of these coming. It's just how it works. So, uh, and Tom did say, we will adapt. If we need to adapt, we will adapt. So yeah. he did leave that door wide open. Um, if you're into this kind of thing about the numbers and what Lavelle made and what Lavelle was offered by other people that he didn't take, we had Rondo Felberg on, and he got very detailed and specific about the 90s. He had multiple stories. We had him on yesterday. So wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, whatever, iTunes, on down the list, listen to that. While you're traveling, I guarantee you, Hands, you want to hear what Rondo said. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, he throws out Lavelle, Miami, and a number. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Um, but I think the thing, uh, and PK and I both did this after we heard the press conference, and Tom said, we looked at what other teams the Big 12 are doing, and he said, we looked at the Pac-12 and some other schools. Well, I'm sure you'd look at Utah because you're going to have to compete with them, and you probably have some access through Bronco. Maybe you can get a little background there, right? So there are other places they can go and, and get some of these numbers. And if you set Oklahoma and Texas salaries aside, because they're going to the SEC, so is not going to be competing with them for very long, if at all, in the Big 12. And if you look at the 12 schools that will be the Big 12 in 2026, you can't get the numbers for Baylor and BYU because they're private schools. But you look mm-hmm. at the other 10 coaches, the fifth best paid coach, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati, $3.4 million. If BYU is giving Kalani that that's still 50% less than what Kyle is getting at the U. Yeah. 
So it almost (laughs) seems to me that's the neighborhood BYU has to have moved into. And I know those numbers, you can fudge them because you can build in um, bonuses that are easy or harder to hit. So you know your base, but you also know if a bonus is likely or not. Yeah, I think that I think DJ. I think it, it sure seems like you're on the right trail. Like that. That is the exact trail that that I would have definitely followed. As far as okay, where is the conference? Where are the coaches mm-hmm. in the conference? D- you know, what level do we need to get him to? As far as conference coaching pay, maybe with the the promise of an opportunity of bigger and better times when Big Twelve money kicks in, mm-hmm. and you know. Being able to usher that team uh, an extension of longevity, you know, I, I know that money is a lot to a lot of people, but I think that Kalani's got plenty of it at this point. I think Kalani really wants to feel loved. He, he wants to feel wanted. And uh, taking him to 2027, I think, does a better job of that than a simple two-year extension that took him to 2025. So I think that that is a, a nice show of faith. And I think you're on the, the, the right path with that, DJ, I, I don't know where I'd put him in the in the list of highest paid coaches in the Big Twelve. I certainly wouldn't put it in the top five. I I don't think I'd put it in the bottom five. Um, but I think that BYU is doing everything they can to to try to push forward with the growth of this program and and the the, uh, the fortitude of it, knowing what they're about to head into in in a season after, after one more season. Anything on recruiting day catch your eye or was it uh, pretty normal? Are there any athletes out there you think, wow, that's a huge get? <laughs> uh, not really. Okay. No, I think that having Kingsley come back from Oregon, you know, if, if, Kingsley, if Kingsley stays on the path that he was on in high school, I do think that I don't know if he gets to Penny Sewell's level of hype but he's got all the body types and strength and anger that Penny plays with. And I've seen the level of play from him that would be equal to that of Penny's at that age. So I've got high hopes for him to be a big-time player for BYU after he's now transferred back from Oregon. And we'll see where – you know how it is. It all comes down to who you are, how you work, what your mindset is. So um, – those are things that I can only predict based off of what I saw in high school. I'm excited for that. Um, I think that all three schools knocked it out of the park. I think all of them did great as far as going out and trying to get the talent that they wanted. It was nice to see BYU get Ice Moa. Um, I'm very close friends with the family, and I watched that kid grow up. I know that he's going to be a star. His brother's at Utah State. Speaking of Utah State, they got two offensive linemen out of the state that are fantastic. Uh, Teague Anderson, I think, is going to be a great addition. And I think Teague Anderson, it, he's hes a body type and style that he could go in and win a start in his freshman year, if not his sophomore year. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm just excited. I think that the talent in the state of Utah, I don't know if you guys heard us talking yesterday, but Steve Tate had tweeted out that there were five division one scholarships given out the year he signed and you know we're well over 30 here in the state so i'm happy to see this state really growing in in depth in football 
Hands, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet, guys. Have a good day. Hans Olsen, getting ready to call some bowl games on national radio broadcasts over the holidays. And it'll start with BYU and the Independence Bowl on Saturday. Cool. DJ and PK, what'd you miss in this show? What do you need to know? We will get to all of that next. The Jazz, the uh, NBA, the overtime thriller, and a uh, big football game tonight. We talked with Lincoln Kennedy about that earlier in the show. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. The athletic director at the University of Utah, Mark Harlan. I'm curious what the difference in financial impact a Rose Bowl is as compared to like an Armed Forces Bowl. Here's what I know to be true. It's not extra millions falling into the athletic department in that way, but it's broader a, a lift to the entire university. That makes it such a special thing. I mean, on January 1, there'll be more people focused in on the brand of Utah, you know, maybe outside of the Final Four years ago um, on that day. And it's hard to put a value number on that, but uh, we're just most excited about all the energy surrounding the University of Utah. I mean, I think, guys, when this thing is said and done, we may have 60,000-plus fans based on some of the data I was looking at. We're going to be unbelievable in our representation of the game, and that's just so exciting. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Josh Lambeau. His story about Urban. Time to get you up to speed on everything we've been talking about over the course of this show, and it is brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. What's that kicker's name? Josh Lambeau. Well, man, he said, don't you kick me again or else I'm going to do my own version of the Lambeau Leap. Yeah? What are you going to do about it? I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the bleep I want. Josh Lambeau, fourth most accurate kicker. So now you can speak to this because you've been kicked by a supervisor. Nope, I was not kicked. He drew his <laughs> leg back to kick me, but he did not extend it forward. Oh, I didn't? No. Oh, no. man, I always thought there was, was contact. It was right there. It was right there. No. Oh, he wanted to. He was, and then he stopped. You know, after all this, Scotty, can you believe this? He after all it. this hubbub, there was actually no contact? I thought a kick was made. I don't know why you thought that, because you were in the room. You I know, about, but I can't see. I got the computer right in front of me. Feet. Well, his leg isn't 14 feet long, for starters. So. Yeah, but the, the whole thing, I sit low. I mean, uh, come on, man. I, I, all this time, I thought he kicked you. I thought nope. you were a victim. Nope. Oh. He wanted to, but he didn't. But he yet stopped. you played the victim. When necessary. <laughs> Let's see if Scotty's listening. A text in three, two, two one. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty's not listening. There's a game last night. <laughs> He's got to go to Southern California himself. Urban Meyer out in 13 games. Lincoln Kennedy surprised it was this fast. I'm surprised. Not surprised I'm it didn't shocked. work. I, I think everybody is. There was nobody. I don't remember anyone saying he won't even make it through year one. There were plenty of people who didn't think it would work, but I think they were thinking, oh, he's gone after two years, or they'll get him late in the second year, or maybe early in the third, something like that. But to not even get through 16 football 17 football games now. He didn't get through the old season, let alone the new season. Gone from 16 yeah, he to got 17. through the old season. The old, old season. No, when it, back when it was a 12-game season yeah, in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little later now, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I don't know when they went to 14. Uh, I thought they the Dolphins six... were like 12-0. and 0. No, they were 14-0. Oh, and they were 14? And three playoff games was 17-0. and 0. Okay. So after the AFL-NFL merger, it was definitely a 14-game season. And I think it was 14 before that, but I don't know at what point they went uh, to it. I don't know. 
I can look it up in the next break if I can remember that long. They did 16 for about 40 years, a little more than 40 years, before they added 17 this year. All right, so other stuff we talked about. Huge football game tonight in the AFC West. The Chiefs and the Chargers. Chargers are only one game behind the Chiefs. They got a chance to win the division, but they need to win tonight. They lose tonight. The Chiefs will be up two games with three to play, and the AFC West will be over. The Chiefs, not only trying to win the division, but they got a chance to be the one seed in the AFC. Get a bye, play at home at uh, Arrowhead. They're tied right now with the Patriots and the Titans. All three of those teams are 9-4. and four. So plenty to play for for both of these teams tonight. Kansas City on the win streak, you trust them? Yeah. They get it done because they're the Chiefs. Chargers are emerging, though. They're good, but they're not ready for this moment against this team the way they're playing right now. I think they've got some good days ahead of them. I expect them to be a force over the next five years. Uh, they ought to. They'll struggle tonight. If they if they win tonight, they're really set up great because oh, you got no the question. Texans who are terrible on the road, and you got the Raiders on the road who have completely fallen apart. We talked to Lincoln about that. They went into their bye week five and two, feeling great, leading the division, looking like a million bucks. They're one and five since then. How they beat the Cowboys is a mystery. That's their only win since their bye week. Yeah, that's football. Lose your coach and everything falls apart. So it's not a tough stretch for the Chargers here if they. If they beat the Chiefs, then uh, they sweep the season series, they have the tiebreaker, and they got a pretty soft schedule. The Broncos at home would be their only semi-difficult game. So that's the NFL. Uh, Anything else out of Lincoln you want to pass along to the people? Fat bottom girls make the rockin' world go round. What? (laughs) Don't remember Lincoln singing. Uh, NBA, the Lakers, the Mavericks, overtime. Mavs down three, hit a three to tie. Lakers hit a three to take the lead. Mavs hit another three to tie it, and then the Lakers hit a three to win it. It was a fabulous final minute of overtime. And Austin Reeves, he was fouled. He didn't get the call. He's, in the NBA terms, a nobody on the road at the end of a game when they like to swallow the whistles, even though it was clearly a foul. But he drained it, so it didn't matter, and they win the game. On the foul call, of all things. The Lakers <laughs> not getting that call they deserved. Who cares about that? You make a big he deal He hit the shot, that. and he won it. Yeah, undrafted free agent, man. That's cool. You know, Team so- mobbed him. They were thrilled. Oh, yeah, that was fun to see. It was. I mean, I think they did it. If LeBron had hit it, I don't think they go after him near as much. But because everybody knows you're the undrafted free agent. Yeah, yeah. And you were the fifth best player in a Laker jersey on the floor. And the other team's going to make you take the shot and you drained it? Yeah, you're an underdog. Everybody likes the underdog story, right? And he makes that shot. American underdog, Kurt Warner. It opens Christmas Day. Everybody loves that story, man. The rags to riches type thing, for sure. And so he do, he gets that shot. I love the fact that Westbrook, no hesitation in passing him the ball. And I like what LeBron said afterward. He said, we have confidence in everybody who's out on the floor. And I think that's important because we know Jordan, you know, with the Kerr thing, I'm going to, he's Stockton's going to double me and I'm going to pass it to you and you're going to make it or else I'm going to punch you in the face again. He didn't yeah. say that part, but that was understood. That was implied. Yeah. And so to have that level of confidence, so Westbrook's going to go to the Hall of Fame. No matter what you think of him, he's going to go. Right. And so to think that Westbrook wants to pass you the ball and to think that Vogel puts you out on the floor in that situation ought to give you a ton of confidence. Just that alone that he thinks, because basically if Vogel's putting you out on the floor, that's the same thing as LeBron putting you out on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so, And I always said the, the most dangerous guy is the one who has no choice. The clock dictates that you must shoot. 
And there's no hesitation whatsoever. You have to shoot it. And you now you're get, not free. You're not second guessing yourself. No, you just shoot it. You you're have all to. focused on the shot. Yeah, you have to shoot. I used to overthink when I played high school ball, so the coach would like to give the hit and run with me because it took away the doubt. I had the swing. Hmm. The hit and run is something that's like a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're old. Nobody does that anymore, but they used to do it a lot. We used to do it in softball. Uh, I always batted ahead of Tom Ho- uh, Tom Ho- Tom Hofarth. And uh, they'd let you run if the uh, when the pitcher released the ball, but you couldn't steal, so you could be out, right? But I told him, I said, take off your cap and wipe your forehead with your forearm. That's the hit and run. <laughs> <laughs> and so he'd do it. We didn't do it all the time, but he'd do it, and I'd take off, and we would do the hit and run in, in softball. John Morant hurt his knee. Looked bad for the Grizzlies, didn't it? It did. I was Atlanta stunned. blew him out that night. That was yeah. Friday, November 26th. Grizzlies have now played 10 games without John Morant, and they have gone 9-1. They ripped off five straight wins, lost to Dallas. Now they've won four in a row. They beat Portland last night, 113-103. to They are fourth in the West. They are seven games over 500 at 18-11. and I wonder if he's feeling like Ant B. Now let me explain. First off, tell people what show Aunt B is from. Aunt B? Not everybody knows. Aunt B. <laughs> Mayberry RFD. <laughs> I don't know. Was it RFD? I don't know if it was RFD. Yeah. It might have just been Mayberry. No. No, it was no. The Annie Griffiths show was not Mayberry or RFD, so you're wrong. Oh, I've confused shows. Yeah. I, okay, you're right. I think you're right. Right. I defer to you. This was before. This was before, yeah. That was, was probably a spinoff. Yeah, it was Mayberry BFD. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, your point. So Aunt B goes on vacation. And she's all worried about Andy and Opie, right? Getting that they'd be able to take care of themselves. Well, they just make a total mess of the place. I think she went out to, uh, what was it, uh, Mount Pelier or something? Mount something or other. The big city. Yeah, yeah. So they just, Andy and Opie just trashed the house. Well, Aunt B's friend comes over and sees that the house is all trashed, and she just spotless cleans it, right? Okay. Well, Andy comes home, and you know, Andy was, he was one wise dude, you know what I mean? I mean, this is a show that you can watch today, anywhere on, on, in this country. That show's going to be on, right? TV land. Yeah, anywhere. So, Andy comes home and realizes Aunt B's on the way home. She's taking the bus down from Montpelier. And he realizes, no, we got to show how much we miss her. So, he calls Opie. I think he gets Opie out of school. Obi rides his bike home. <laughs> they trashed the house. They trashed the house again. <laughs> yes. Because he wanted it to make sure that she knew that they desperately needed Aunt B in their lives. And they what they they didn't want Aunt B running around and getting having a fling with a younger guy. Hey and, now. And going over to Raleigh. What kind yeah. of storyline right. is that? Right, right. Craig Bullerjack's gonna drive down here. Well, it was implied. Because they were worried about it. Because I think she was on Nutrisystem or something, and she's starting to look a lot better. Aunt B, yeah. We had a couple more things to get to, and you're wasting time on this. 
<laughs> got to finish the story now. The other day I started a story and you didn't like it and I cut it off. So now I'm got to finish the story, right? So they were, and, and, and B was starting to buy slinky clothing and all. And you could just see the countenance was changing. Well, they didn't want to lose Aunt B. So they trashed the house. Aunt B comes back and realizes, I'm needed here. So she sets aside all her personal feelings and, and, and emotions and all that. This is where I belong. Well, I'm wondering if the Grizzlies is the same thing. They're winning at an astounding level. The numbers are astounding. And John Moran might feel like, wait a second, am I really needed here? So is this best for the Grizzlies in the long term? Well done the way I brought it together. And you know the, the master teachers, they use parables, which I just did. Andy Griffith left the show after eight years. In the ninth year, it was retitled Mayberry RFD. And I'm wasting Ken time. Ken Berry and Buddy Foster came aboard. But before he left. I'm wasting Hold time, on. Yuck. Before he <laughs> Hold left. Hold on. Okay. Before he left, Andy Griffith got Andy some naturally nude pajamas. You know I love you, bro. But I literally went. I just wanted to, I just wanted to say on. they got the naturally nude pajamas. Now I'm done. That's no, right. and what we know is how sick you are is you wanted to see Aunt B in naturally nude pajamas. Well, that's, that's the issue. Issue. After you throw right, out the whole systems thing. <laughs> Anything else we need to recap You're from the show gross. that we actually talked about? I think we are gross. Uh, Joe was on. Give me, the, give me the highlight of Joe. You can go find Joe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Joe is entertaining as always. You take away from the Joe Ingles interview. Yeah, I mean, that, that they know that their weaknesses are uh, transition defense, and he knew specifically we're 28th, and... Uh, that even to the point where they'll have a little film available at halftime to show. And the last thing you want to do is be singled out because you didn't do your job. Because not only are you letting yourself down, you're letting your teammates down, the team, the franchise, the owner, blah, blah, blah. And it's like I said earlier, these jobs, the job that I have, it's so good, I never want to screw it up. Yeah. Well, magnify that by a thousand because of the, they get to play ball and make outrageous amounts of money. So you don't want to screw up. So they're heightening on that and the heightening awareness. And who was it? Uh, the... <laughs> The interview that I think it was the interview they did during the third quarter or something uh, about, uh, well, man, what's it going to take to put these guys away? Quinn looks at, who was it, Mark Jackson? What? We're up like 12 and you got 15 minutes to go and you're talking about putting the team away? And he went, we got to play defense, man. got to play defense, you know? And, and, and his comments in the postgame, it's not exactly one-to-one, but most of our offensive spurts are triggered by defense. He's just going to hammer that home till we're blue in the face, man. He's right. They score on a lot of their possessions. They score at a very high rate. Lock will come on and tell us, number one in offensive efficiency by a wide margin. So if you want to run, get stops because you're going to score. So the only difference is you're going to get the 10 points. Is it going to be 10-8, to 10-2, to two, or 10 nothing? Nobody runs anymore, though. Teams run against the Jazz. No, they run to the three-point line. Yes, I agree. But that's, but that's still running. That still a transition three. Okay, a transition three is different than running. Bogey running, it changed the game right before running halftime. Implies fast break. Nobody. It is a fast break, but it is at the three-point line, not, not at the rim. That's not a break. <laughs> You're just like Magic's Lakers, and <laughs> they're not changing. On. That's not a Bogey, fast break. Bogey hit three threes in like the last three minutes of the first half. They're up six, and it's because Bogey caught fire. He, he shot the ball very well in that game. Sure. Seven of 11. Great, but I think they, can, they have the capability of doing that, taking the ball out of the basket after a score. That's just not what you want to do because that means the other team scored. This team is so prolific offensively, it could beat you in the half court. It can beat you in the new version of the break. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up next. Stay with us.
And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Guys, Mickey Couture wants to help you out this holiday season with the perfect gift. Stop by any location from Ogden to St. George today. Mention Zone 50 and save 50%. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Get in today, save 50%, and get the best gift ever from Minky Couture. Time for your feedback. So, question of the day. How about the Jazz signing Danny Ainge as an alternate governor and CEO? And Clint says, who gives a bleep? It's a made-up position. It'll have nothing to do with trades and the real day-to-day operations of the Jazz. Ooh. That sounds harsh. <laughs> I think he'll have Are something to sure do. Are we sure about that? I'm not. I think exactly the opposite. I think he will have something to say about trades. The fact is, he's a confidant. Yes. Agreed. Boss. Right. And he will have a say. What I believe is I believe that he doesn't want to work those 14, 16-hour days, whatever the numbers were he threw out there. What he doesn't want to do is be on a plane flying from one college game to another to see a bunch of potential uh, draft picks. Yeah, see, I think that's in his blood, though. He'll do some of it. I can't tell you spot. the number of times I've, t- I've spoken to him on the road. Right. But you don't think he'll pick his spots? I think he always picked his spots. Hmm. I-, I think it's... I See, to me... If he was just going to be some casual consultant, you don't name him CEO, an alternate governor. Those titles, I thought, were a little bit bigger than I anticipated him having on this team. And that's the role he's going to have. So I think that there's something to it more than I thought. I don't think he's looking to be the point guy. You want to discuss a trade, you got some question about the Jazz, you call Jay-Z. He's your guy. And then we'll go from there. But how much say when it's time to sign a free agent, to make a draft pick, to make a trade? He's in the room, and his voice will carry weight. I believe that 100%. Yeah. I also don't think he's going to be looking to get in any power struggles. I could be wrong, but this is my, and I've known the guy for a long time. We're not buddies by any stretch. I've talked to him on the phone a couple times, um, when his, especially when his kid was playing, Austin was playing at BYU. I saw him a lot then because he'd managed to work scouting trips around their games, and I was a beat writer for the Watchdog at that time. Uh, so I, I think that he feels like this is this is a good spot for him to ride out however long he wants to be. See, he's going to be more than Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor, when you broke the news, and you broke it, dog. That was your big claim to fame. You broke that he was done as the full-time GM, even though there were denials. And so he's come in from time to time as a consultant and probably on the phone and stuff we don't know about. My instinct, again, could be wrong, but my instinct mean, t- says me tells me he'll be more than what Kevin was. But he's not looking to take over Jay-Z's gig. There's a couple ways this can go, and it's probably more nuanced than that, but for the purposes of radio, we'll go with two. And this isn't just the, this situation with the Jazz. This is any situation with any boss and any line of work. There's the boss who says, you do all the work, you gather all the info, but I'm going to help make the decision, and if you can talk me into it, we'll do your way, but 90% of the time, we're doing what I think. And then there's the boss who says, kind of like how we run the show. Gather yeah, all the I info. That's what you tell me, yes. Gather all the info. <laughs> We'll make a decision together. If we don't, you know what? I'm going to give you a little room on this. You'll make it. But I will remember the decision you make, and we'll see if it plays out, and we'll act accordingly from that. I don't know that I would say, I will remember. (laughs) It's understood. Okay. Well, there's probably some bosses who will blurt it out. I'm sure somebody can cite some boss out there. But everybody's keeping track. It's certainly the NBA. We've had multiple people, Kevin O'Connor, Dennis Lindsay, have both told us that 
hey, you go back three years after a draft, you redraft the draft and yeah. hold everybody accountable and figure out what were our no, blind we spots. We can do that. Right. I always look at it for myself, and I was the youngest in my family, so I was always around older people, older by several years, I might add, because mm-hmm. my sisters are substantially older than me. What, eight, and, 10, 15? Uh, like 9, 11. 9, 11 yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, so I look at it, so I've got like four or five people that I can really trust, you being one of them, and if the people that I trust, say I'm, whatever the situation, you know, I'm probably not going to go to you much in a personal situation, but in a job situation, like Ian Furness, I'll give you an example, where I was debating whether to go. Keep the brand together. And he was driving from Seattle to Portland or vice versa. Uh-huh. And after about the fifteenth time of keep the brand, keep the brand, and I'm still going, oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. he says to me, "Are you stupid?" <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I already gave you the answer. Keep the brand. So I said to him. So let's just take a time. moment publicly to say thank you, Ian. Yeah, and he said that. So if I've got somebody, a confidant close to me, who insists this is the way it should be. And I know they don't have a personal agenda, that they have an agenda that's best for what we're after. I listen to them because they're probably right. And I'm probably, I'm not sure or I'm wrong. Those are my two options. So I go with, and I've been in a situation with you a few times. No, this is the way it's going to be. And you say it by your phone. You say well, there's multiple times <laughs> yeah. that that I can go through the years, and you say it in a manner that this is what, it, and you're so sure of it that I sit back and say, "Hey, wait a second, man, that's a strong feeling. I seriously need to consider that." And I think that's the way this is going to go. A lot of people, I always say the rivalry in all things, a lot of people don't like the Ainge move, and it's Utes and Cougars. It's got nothing to do with Jazz and Celtics or the experience he got, Suns, Kings, Blazers, when he was playing. (laughs) There's one from Monty Python, the woman. Boo! So that'll be held against him forever? Absolutely, 100%. And then there's one here with the doll getting sick. That's disgusting. Uh, Even though man. that has nothing to do with anything, the rivalry well, and all do, things. Do you, uh, wait a second, though. But you, uh, you don't like the Jazz then, because the Jazz owner is a BYU dude. Probably some people trying to get over that right now. <laughs> there has been a little bit of that. <laughs> I'm over it. He, he didn't I know buy you the are, team to win for BYU. I get that, and you and I didn't grow up at the bus stop with you know, taunting back and forth, so it just doesn't hit us the same way as people okay. who literally argued about it Antonio over the dinner Pierce table. Antonio Pierce is their defensive coordinator for the Devils. He went to the U of A. Yeah. Who cares? You're over it. Not everybody is. <laughs> Bill says, how is, how is Danny defending Biggs at the three-point line? He's all about what's going on on the court. Travis, maybe he can convince G-Money to come back. <laughs> and Zachary, hey, you are what your record says you are, and he says the Jazz are 1-0 in the Ainge CEO era. They're undefeated. <laughs> see? <laughs> all right, we're out of time. Jacob Better coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.